Well, everyone can hear me. I've managed to drop my earphones down the front of my shirt, which is very professional. Um, everyone, hi. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing it. Um, I'm here, and Justin is here. Uh, hi, Justin. Hello. I I'm Justin. I'm here. Justin's here. Uh, once again, we are joined, not this time, Not you're not here by sheer force of will, because we can confirm that you definitely uh, do exist and people can see you um, in some form. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not Omega from the three doctors, no. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah, you're not here this time by sheer force of will. Uh, yeah. We've managed to get you, admittedly, we've frozen you in time because if I tease everyone in the corner, see, there's, there's Justin, he's just right next to me there. See, look, it's Ross. Yeah. Hooray. Um, uh, looking pensive, sat in a chair. Uh, just you're you're talking without moving your head or any part of your body. It's um, true. It's yes, true. I, exactly. I've been I've been practicing this for years and years. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, right. Let's uh, let's let's crack on. Um, everyone's here in the in the chat. Hello, everyone. Uh, nice to see you all. Uh, we have lots of people joining us already, which is very exciting. Tonight we are going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that actually it's a nice companion to your previous episode that you did with this, but we'll get to that later. Um, U.S. railroads can be bad, actually, with Justin Rosniak, of course, of of uh, of Well, There's Your Problem podcast uh, fame, and also of uh, you've been doing the rounds. Actually, you've been doing quite a few bits and pieces uh, uh, recently on on various places, talking about well the very subject we're going to be covering. Oh yeah, I'm using what I'm doing is using a labor action to expand my brand cynically. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, don't we all? The, the content machine must turn onwards. Yes, exactly. The slow wheels of content will move. Um. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, but before we do that, I must uh, desperately grab my Wacom, which has just fallen down the side of there. Oh my goodness, why is this, why is this happening? Um, and uh, look at the COVID stats. Because uh, it's always interesting, we at the start, pretty much every episode since this started, given that this was an episode, this was this whole series started because of COVID and boredom. Um, uh, we've been looking at uh, the ridership statistics across uh, cycling, across uh, the railways, across kind of private vehicles like cars and taxis, and then across bus services outside of London, uh, and kind of tracing them along. And so we've got this, uh, we've got this sort of trace here um, of uh, so the, the green one at the top is cycling, uh, which Roz, you should be able to now see on your screen. Um, right. Yes. Green one at the top is cycling. Um, we've got uh, this red one is is kind of cars and taxis, which has basically been like back to normal for ages. Uh, the pinky one is uh, for anyone who's colorblind. This this one I've just circled here uh, is buses, and then the blue one is railways. Uh, so this is railway ridership, and uh, this was this drop here is when there was a strike. Uh, the first strike made a big hit, but then the recovery was pretty much instant, which was nice. Um, and uh, what can we see most recently? Well, uh, because of uh, certain shenanigans, this is a Queen discussion-free zone, although not quite as much as last week. I did a news episode last week and uh, explicitly made a point of not mentioning anything about uh, the royal family, which was quite nice. Um, but we can't avoid mentioning the reason for this this drop here, which is obviously because there was a bank holiday and everything was closed, so no one was driving or taking the bus. But rail usage looks to have sort of stayed up here. Anyway, fine. Um, I don't know. There's not much really to say about that. Uh, there's, we can see a bit of a drop from the other strikes that we've had. Um, this is an interesting context for this, Roz. I don't know if you've been keeping up to date with what's going on in the UK railways-wise, but everything's going to absolute like uh, hell in a handcar. You know, we've got a shortage, right. a chronic shortage of drivers. Um, right. We're running like, a, in, in some cases, we're running like 20% of trains that used to operate. Um, like right. before COVID, 
And it's just the, the service is collapsing. Like for me, I, I, was, I went over to Liverpool um, uh, over the weekend to, to sort of meet my parents and have a nice time because Liverpool's a fun city. It's kind of like New York was in the 1920s uh, before they did the really tall skyscrapers. It's kind of fun. Um, but normally I take the train because it takes like two hours on the train from York. goes across the Pennines, lovely job. Um, the, the service has been so decimated that it was going to take over four hours to get over to Liverpool. Uh, so we drove and then got a park and ride train once we reached the, the, the kind of suburban area. That's rubbish. I don't like driving. I want to take the train, um, but I'm not taking twice the time. Anyway, that's an example of how rubbish it is. Um, and despite all of this, we're still at between like, okay, it pitches up and down, but we're generally on average around about 90% of rail ridership at the moment, despite the fact that the timetable is completely fucked. So I consider that an indication of latent demand. Um, just imagine what would be happening if the service was actually running as it's supposed to, quite something. Anyway. It, it, it feels like every single industry out there that like physically does something, like which isn't you know something that makes a, a fart app is yeah. in crisis now. Um, yes. Just because you can make so much more money making a fart app and doing nothing. Yeah, but, even, um, but, but money is real, and so the fart app, which is invariably being invested in by SoftBank, um, mm -hmm. they're not even making money anymore because the fact that they've had thirty-two, what is it like, you know, thirty billion of investment and and zero pan, like zero dollars of profit, means something now. So even those guys are uh, are up against the wall. Um, oh, thank God for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, and this is the trace since the start of that. So, so these these traces, uh, uh, Ross, are just like. Um, uh, so this is 100 percent of, of pre-COVID ridership. So this is kind of like this is these are like uh, relative. These these traces are all relative to like the pre-COVID times. So it's not an absolute figure. It's a relative figure. So you can see that cycling. Funnily enough, when road like pe when people didn't drive around, loads of people cycled instead. That was like a happy utopia in the first lockdown, and then that's just dropped away completely as people have started driving again more. Sometimes. Anyway, there we go. COVID. Oh, so. Uh, oh, lots of people in the chat already saying things. Um, uh, calling Liverpool 1920s New York is like calling Birmingham the Venice of the North. Xander, that's very naughty. Um, anyway, right. Let us... Yeah, so last time you were on, uh, Ros, we were talking about the fact that US railroads can be good. Um, yes. And, and it, was, it was a good episode. You, we covered some interesting things. This, this, the, 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 the bridge here is one that I'm hoping to travel on when I... Uh, hello everyone spoiler alert i'm going to the u.s in a, in, a, in a few weeks um uh, and i'm hoping to just like do a pointless uh a seller trip and uh and hopefully we'll uh, include this bridge but anyway i digress that was an interesting episode it was fun and we covered lots of good things yeah. um that's not what we're going to be doing this time um is it ross no no today today we're going to cover the bad stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of it yeah this we're going to keep <laughs> ourselves busy um, on this one, there's 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 a lot to cover, and it's going to tie into why the you know it's going to tie into the fact that um, as we'll kind of tease in the news after the intro, um, it's the fact that there it, it's reached breaking point for the workers, right? It's reached a point yes. where the, it's absolutely intolerable for for railroad staff to actually like live to work to to to, to function. Um, you have no time off, and when I mean no time off, I mean no weekends, no holidays, no nothing, um, and this is entirely. The railroads own doing it's their fault um and we're going to take a sort of long historical view of how we got here um this is fun because i i just get to uh really really complain about the railroads constantly uh, <laughs> th this is this is all complaining which is something i enjoy doing um <laughs> it's it's going to be a joyous complaint well both of us enjoy uh complaining about things that but it, i think we wouldn't enjoy complaining about things if there was no reasonable way to fix them i think the enjoyment mm -hmm. comes from the fact or, or i suppose the, the the frustration comes from the fact that there's so many of these things could be resolved some of them are long-standing but a lot of things could be fixed with like you know a reasonable strategy it's not something that could be fixed overnight but 
a lot of this stuff, I'm guessing, uh, is stuff that, you know, with, with a reasonable strategy in place, you could start to pick it apart. I, I, I feel like on a long enough timeline, every single problem that exists was something that the railroads uh, caused themselves, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Some, kind of, some kind of self-inflicted wound. Um. <laughs> yeah, crikey! It's it's, and we are, and and, to, and we are going to pick the scab off that wound. Uh, oh God, why did I use that analogy? Um, mm. In the rest of this, uh, <laughs> this episode, <laughs> um, everyone, welcome to tonight's rail matter. City two two five fades away. Ah, oh. oh. we uh yes yeah Ros we're we're back so um, okay we're back in good we're back I in hear we're the back theme in music yeah that's it you can't you, all you can do is see the stuff and ten seconds after it's actually going out um so uh what am I gonna uh, waffle at? firstly it, it's it, it, this was me taking a selfie with the RMT picket um from a, like a month ago um look it's my stupid face in the corner but ignore that um just 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 just, just ignore that guy um with more strikes are happening uh quite a lot more strikes and then with more strikes kind of as yet unannounced as well so um we have got aslef uh, and the rmt uh, are striking on the first of october saturday the first of october um which will hopefully cause a good amount of disruption on the the, the sunday as well actually because because it's difficult to get saturday trains in in the right place for, for sunday as well so saturday sunday that weekend will be a write-off and um uh, following that on the wednesday the 5th uh, of October, Aslef uh, are striking again. So these are strikes that will cover uh, quite a broad range of uh, train operators. I think 12 or 14 of the train operators in the UK are going to be covered. And as yet unannounced are also the TSSA strikes. So so these are the three uh, different kind of main unions that cover pretty much all the, the, the kind of unionized staff. Everyone join a union if you aren't in one already. Um, all the pretty much all the, the the unionized staff are going to be getting covered. TSSA hopefully will be able to. They they, can, they have to announce with a two weeks notice, so it's probably going to be a bit later than the others now. But um, yeah, so we have a, a big pile of strikes uh, inbound, um, and um, and sure enough, um, it's the same story over in the US, or it nearly was, right? So they so so um, this will get this, still happen. Yeah, it may <laughs> still. We'll get to this stupid tweet uh, by this person momentarily. But basically, there there was a strike. It was called. It, it was. Called off because new T's and C's were put on the table, or, or a new arrangement was put on the table, but it wasn't called off permanently. It was just like we'll delay it to review this, right? Is, have I got that right? Um, yes, essentially, um, the the two the two main unions involved who were portrayed in the media as like, oh, these two holdout uh, bastard unions. No, yeah. the two main unions, which are the people who actually drive the trains, um, <laughs> finally uh, acquiesced to put the presidential emergency board's recommendations up to a vote only after they included some extra uh, some, some days off in the contract, which was what this whole strike, this whole labor action really is about. It's like, can I please, can I please have a day off to go to the doctor? Can I please have <laughs> yeah, a day yeah, off yeah. to go to, to, to go to a funeral? Can I just one, please? It's, it's, it's like border. <laughs> it's absolutely staggering. It's like borderline. I always have to, we always have to be careful about what we, what the kind of the wording we use, but it's like borderline indentured servitude at this point. Like people yeah, are locked it, in. It's, it's, um, I mean, it's wage slavery with higher wages. 
Yeah. But the thing is, like, people, wages mean nothing if you if if you're essentially locked out of ever spending any time with friends or family to actually enjoy, you know, or or just on your own, having a nice time on your own. Yeah. If you haven't got a chance to do any of those things, then it, salary is pointless. Yeah, I was about to say, and, and this is a long term career. You know, it's not like you uh, you're you're shipping up to the oil fields in Alberta for like two years. You're making a hundred thousand dollars and then coming back. Um, more than a hundred thousand dollars. That'd probably be two hundred thousand dollars now. Uh, yeah. This is like you know, people work. Uh, the the railroad used to be a good uh, a middle class career, um, and it just you know, and and you had certain problems where you're away from your family for a long time, or you know, you have weird schedules. But this was, but it was doable, and it isn't anymore. Yeah. Um, and. and it- Sorry, yeah, and and this kind of leads us in. I mean, you get weird tweets like this that came up. So this tweet, this cougar spider tweet. I mean, um, I'm not one, and this is why I did the. This is why I think our first episode was quite good because a lot of people, particularly in the UK, like to just you know fall lazily into tropes about bashing the US railroad without fully understanding it. Which is why I thought, you know, what'll be interesting as a bit of a counter to that is actually explore what's good about the US railroads. Um, but. That does not mean that the US has the best rail system in the world. I, I just cannot fathom it. Given how much, you know, when I spend a bit of time in Central Europe or like in Austria, for example, where, you know, I can see that they have modern intermodal, they've got such nice uh, services, well-scheduled services, you know, they've basically got um, tact plan type timetabling. Combined with that, they also have, you know, they've got like like break bulk, like individual wagons parked up in factories along rural lines. So they kind of like almost have a railway that manages to do that side of things, you know, like individualized like uh, loads. And it works fantastically. I cannot see that and then think that the U.S. is doing it right. And that's kind of what you're going to pick through, I think, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to take. I mean, we're going to take a long historical view on this as well. Um, you know, so so get ready for uh, get ready for some real nerding out on this one. It's going to be um, beautiful. Um, so uh, yeah, so this this this. Uh, so for the benefit of the, I'm going to read this tweet out for the benefit of the um, audio only people. By the way, hello, audio only people. Um, the averted freight rail. Wait a minute, this is potentially an American guy, isn't it? Where, where are they from? What 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 excruciating American accent am I going to do? I've been watching a lot of. Uh, oh man, I could do I could do the Kentucky Fried Chicken voice maybe. Ah, uh, 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 see, the, the, the avoided freight rail strike nicely demonstrates something many Americans and even more foreigners don't get. Uh, the U.S. has the best rail system, I uh, say, the best rail system in the world. It just happens to be a freight rail system. Um, that, was the, that was the tweet. Thank, thank you, Mr. Leghorn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, indeed. Um, so, so there we go. Uh, that's Cougar Spider's tweet, and, and there, there are issues with this, which we're going to unpick. Um, uh, so yeah, the, the last episode, I, I kind of, uh, right, I'm going to get our miniaturized, uh, I'm going to get, in fact, here we go, that's just me, let's get Roz back, there's Roz. Uh, hello. Uh, hello. Uh, so, uh, this is the last episode, episode 43, like almost two years ago, it was the first episode of 2021, it was a while back, so we've kind of talked about this, now we're going to unpick it somewhat, um, and we're going to go right back to the beginning. Uh, people are very upset about my accent um, uh, already. <laughs> <laughs> GDR Riley, oh god. Yes, I, I presume, yes. Okay, good. Um, Marvellous. Um, anyway, right. Uh, yeah, John Christoph. Uh, oh, quickly, yeah, okay. I just okay. gathered that with uh, the UK rail strikes, a certain number of trains are still required to run. I assume the same would not be true if the US freight rail strike goes forward. Oh, that's an interesting question. Before we get started, Roz, did you get that? That was like, uh, in fact, if you're in the YouTube, you can probably see the comment, which is... Um, yeah. Is there in the US? Will nothing run? Will it just be zero railroad on on the day? Freight rail strike in the US would be a complete and total shutdown 
of the free rail system, of all Amtrak long-distance services. I believe a few of the railroads had plans to run very limited service using management who are qualified on locomotives. But it would have it, it this is it, it's not like something where uh, it would be a complete and total shutdown it would be it, it would everything would grind to a halt um, <laughs> which is quite I, I i'm feeling uh i'm not even schadenfreude just joy uh, hearing that because um that's an effective strike whereas in the uk we just can't quite legally we just can't quite reach that point there, there are lots of people who scab um they're frustratingly a lot of people so for anyone who's wondering i'm wearing i'm still wearing my work clothes which is a bit embarrassing but um when I'm, at, when I'm in the office, people are under no illusions. Uh, in fact, I'll go and breathe, breathe, I'll momentarily go big face. People are under no illusions uh, what my thoughts are. So I'm wearing my, that's my union, the TSSA, and then the RMT little thing there. People are under no illusions of it. But um, there are a lot of people in consultancy, for example, particularly private sector, who don't, um, uh, who, who don't, who aren't in a union. They don't necessarily see the value of it. Um, join union folks. I know there are people watching this who are consultants. Uh, join union folks. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so so, that, but there are some people who just aren't in a union who will within within Network Rail, for example, will um, scab, frankly, uh, and run like go and help out in a signal box or something, um, which they shouldn't be doing because it's scabbing, folks. Don't do it. Don't don't let Network Rail euphemize you and pretend that it's not scabbing. It's scabbing. Don't do volunteer work on strike days. Do the absolute bare minimum that your contract allows. Um, otherwise, you're scabbing, folks. Anyway, there we go. Just uh, just putting that out there. <laughs> um. So, right. sorry, the start, the beginning, way back. Yeah, I figured we'd start with some ancient history here. Um, okay, so in the United States, we've always had private railroads. That's one of the things that people hold up is like, this is why America's railroads are so great. You know, they're privatized. Uh, and then you have the, you know, you have competition and stuff like that, right? And that, that makes, that makes uh, uh, the, the railroad is great because it has to compete with other railroads. Um, yeah, that's definitely and, a real thing. That's definitely a real thing and not just completely made up and, and, and uh, a complete fiction, for sure. Railroad competition is generally fake. <laughs> um, it's, it's always been a fake thing. When, it's been, when, it has, when it has happened, it's been a disaster. Um, because what do you wind up with when two railroads are directly competing with each other is you get a rate war, right? Yeah. One, one railroad reduces its freight rates, then one next to it reduces theirs, you know, then you go back and forth until neither railroad can really run anymore. And then finally the, uh, you know, at that point the, uh, the executives have to like get together and say, uh, all right, we're all going to agree to raise rates back up to where we can. And then it becomes a cartel we, and yeah. And it, yeah. Exactly. It becomes it's a cartel, but the cartel also falls apart pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, where where this happened, um, it was it caused these like cyclical disruptions to the economy. Right. Um, and so that's this. It's it, it, railroad competition has always been fake and railroads don't compete well with each other because, you know, they're a natural monopoly. Right. Yeah. And if if you are located on a railroad um you can only use that railroad uh maybe a town has two or three but they go different places um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because like every now and then people bring up like italy as an example of where competition has worked um and they say well you know you've got the open access operators right and they've made the the national operator run a better service because their service is so good i 
that's the, the that's the exact that's probably the most the closest to a compelling argument about competition I've ever heard. But the thing is, yeah. as soon as that service reaches a reason, firstly, I don't buy it because if there's an open access operator that's doing well, they're extracting revenue from the the incumbent operator who should just be running those services so that they can. Because otherwise, if you've got two, if you've got if you've got one operator nicking all the profit and the other one just running the less profitable services, that's the whole point of a rail. Like a railroad works by balancing like more and less profitable routes, right? You you get the ones that bring in loads of money and they sub cross subsidize the the ones that don't. Um, so even that argument, for me, never holds up because it's just we have open access operators in the UK. Uh, there's a weird one called Lumo that started fairly recently. And it's like, if they're making good money on that service, why is it not just an LNER service? And then that money goes to LNER and then they make their service better. Right? It doesn't make any sense. So, again, it just doesn't really hold up. I don't see any argument for beneficial con- uh, competition. And as you say, like in the US, I'm sure it's, this, uh, it's definitely in the case of the UK where you did have physical competition between infrastructure, the rail map was a horrible, pointless mess, and you just ended up with, like, utterly pointlessly duplicated infrastructure. And it was awful and pointless and wasteful and invariably then got, like, abandoned again. So it's just, you know, zero strap. You know, and the the routes used to, like, fight each other and end up with stupid positions of stations. So you end up with a total zero strategy for what the railway looks like. Hence why the UK railway map's such a mess. Yeah. Um, the 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 one thing you do get out of this is railroads are of course the first big corporations you know uh, so they they start trying to figure out ways to figure out what's going on in the railroad you know you sort of develop statistics about them one that appears fairly early and we're to talk about a lot today is the operating ratio mm. right um, and the operating ratio is basically of every dollar of revenue the railroad brings in, how much of that is spent on actually running the railroad? Um, that's like, that's like the big, the big top level like railroad statistic to this day. Um, so anyway, right, let's go to the next slide. Let's do it. Yeah, prop, yeah. Pro, uh, Roz is leaning across the Atlantic and tapping me on the shoulder to go to the next yes. one. Um, right, here so, we go. We have a, a map. We have a map. Um, all right, so our first few railroads uh, go from, you know, the East Coast, the Great Lakes, or the Ohio River um, in the late 1850s, just before the Civil War. Of course, uh, Abraham Lincoln wants to do a transcontinental railroad. Um, and this is done through land grants. That's how you fund it, right? Um, you have sort of this checkerboard land grant system where railroads are granted land along their right of way in a checkerboard pattern to a certain extent. Um, and this is obviously done without regard for, you know, people who are already living there, um, stuff like that. Um, yeah, you shout know. out to all of the, like, uh, kind of uh, people who actually lived on this land before uh, the invaders came in and just decided they owned it without any sort of, you know, uh, and any sort of any sort of any, any sort of reasonable recompense, let alone a basic uh, admittance that the people who lived there were human. Uh, yeah, not not great. Yes, uh, and 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 so um, you know th- this is th- this is a great big rolling genocide machine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And all right, what help? What else happened sort of in this era? Uh, Southern Pacific, the Southern Pacific Railroad invents the concept of corporate personhood through a very strained interpretation of the 14th Amendment. 
um, which has done nothing but good for us since. Um, Tom Scott, who was president of the Pennsylvania Railroad during this era, he um, he tries to broker a deal to get Rutherford Hayes elected president in the the corrupt bargain of 1877, where he would uh, essentially uh, for for fiddling with uh, certain sets of Southern electors, he would get a, a, a charter for his Texas and Pacific Railroad, and in, in exchange, uh, Rutherford Hayes would end Reconstruction. Um, oh, golly. So he's yeah. some pretty, pretty serious racism and genocide yeah. coming out of even the Eastern Railroads. Um, yeah. Now, now funnily enough, uh, Tom Scott did not get his Texas and Pacific Railroad. Uh, but they did end Reconstruction, so I lose lose. <laughs> yeah, it's a lose lose situation, I think. There, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so someone commented, I didn't know Tom Scott was that old. Um, <laughs> he is. I'm he is. <laughs> I'm here at the Texas and Pacific Depot yeah. in Fort Worth. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, by the way, people in the chat, if you, for those who are new to the chat, because there's like 150 of you here, um, if you want to leave a, a question, then then at my name and it goes red and then I notice. And then once we've reached the end of a slide and there's a natural spot where I'm not going to like annoyingly cut rods up, uh, we'll, we'll bounce the questions. Let's go. Uh, all right. Uh, let's go to the next one. Sure. Uh, oh, golly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these cyclical uh, railroad booms and busts result in a lot of economic instability. One big aspect of this was the uh, the Panic of 1873, not directly caused by railroads, but they certainly contributed, uh, and the subsequent Long Depression, right? Um, and this is this this uh, culminates in the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. It starts in Martinsburg, uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia, I want to say, yeah, on the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. After they the railroad cut workers' pay. Three times in three months, I want to say, um, and this this strike action spreads really quickly. Um, the worst of violence and riots were in Pittsburgh, um, where Pittsburghers hated the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, <laughs> so when the workers went on strike, the whole city went on strike, and then and then it just devolved into a giant riot, um, and uh, they burned down all the railroad infrastructure in the city. Um, and, and they have to bring in the Philadelphia division of the Pennsylvania national guard to declare war on Pittsburgh. Is this another Um, one of those scenes where a load of uh, small flags wibble across the screen and, and, and uh, poke at some guys and then wibble back across the screen the other direction? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This uh, is this is watch the Franklin, origin. Everyone. <laughs> this is the origin of the Sheets Wawa divide. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, with, with instability in the industry like this, uh, screwing up the whole economy. Uh, eventually, the government steps in, creates something called the Interstate Commerce Commission, which oh, yeah. uh, has the power to regulate freight railroad rates as well as a wide variety of other things they they give themselves some extra powers later um and and so the railroad industry is stabilized through like the late 1800s into the early 1900s but it's interesting it's interesting still... that the parallel between like last the kind of the demise of laissez-faire and the railroads like it happened for different reasons but at, at, at kind of similar times in the u.s and the and and, and europe or certainly the u.s and the uk it's quite interesting to sort of look at the, across the atlantic and see that kind of this laissez-faire approach to railroads kind of like met its demise about the same time. It's interesting. Yes. 
I mean, just a just a complete implosion. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, let's uh, we're gonna skip a little bit here and go forward to World War One. Uh, next slide, please. Here we go. Here are uh, you, locomotives. Here are locomotives. Yes. Uh, th- so two te- no a two eight zero and a two ten two. Sorry, a two eight a two eight two and a two ten two. Yes. Um, so in, in in World War One, you know, railroads are playing a, a vital role in shipping crap over to Europe so that we can go fight Germany mm. uh, and other people. Um, so, yeah, sure. and this was, is where I was. I was going to uh, say I was, in, I was in Liverpool and I went to the Maritime Museum in Liverpool, which frankly is looking a little bit a little bit dated. Um, but actually, the bit on the Battle of the Atlantic was really interesting and. Uh, it just brings home the scale of, of how much was being moved across. Like, it's just a, an insane amount of crap was being moved across the Atlantic. And then a reasonably insane amount of that crap ended up at the bottom of the ocean as well. Um, yes. But uh, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty impressive. And, and, it, and that didn't just end at the coast, the, end at the U.S. coast. Like, the railroads absolutely facilitate that, right? Yes. Um, but World War I really showed the shortcomings of the railroad system as it was mm. at the time, right? Um, because port facilities, especially in New York, were entirely backed up. Uh, cars were stacked up on main lines for miles. Um, and this is okay. Debatably, you, you could, you could, you could, you can make the argument here that this wasn't a railroad problem so much as a port of New York problem. But yeah. Yeah. Um, they nationalized the entire system. They created the U.S. United States Railroad Administration. They took over all the railroads. They streamlined and rationalized operations. Um, this is the only time that railroads were operated in the United States for, like, the public good instead of private profit. Um, it sounds one effective. Of the, Why didn't it stick? Yeah, <laughs> it's like sounds like oh it worked. Oh my god! Yeah, it worked really good. Is the <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they developed a bunch of standardized steam locomotive designs. That's what I put uh, up here. We have oh, a, nice. okay. a USRA light Mikado, and then down here is the USRA. I want to say this is a. A 2102 is a Texas? I, I don't remember. Um, so, you know, this is uh, it's very much a progressive era institution. And, you know, they streamline a lot of operations. They integrate railroads together in ways they weren't before. They also invented a bunch of metrics to measure performance. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is this sort of general measure of railroad efficiency called ton miles per train hour. Right. Um, and so the idea is this is how many tons of train are being moved how many miles in how many hours so a longer heavier faster train is more efficient right a uh, bigger number is more uh, Some... i like that ratio that captures that manages to capture quite a lot in one number yes it's pretty good uh, john, john christoph has said a 2102 is a santa fe F. okay okay yeah <laughs> thanks john <laughs> thanks john christoph uh santa fe there we go there, okay. I corrected that. There we are. Everything is well again. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're nothing yeah. if not a factually inaccurate podcast here. Yeah. So the um the 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 uh so this this sort of um this system is reprivatized after the war. Unfortunately, there was, I believe, a movement to keep it nationalized, and it didn't go anywhere. Um. Anyway, but you know, uh, at this point. You know, the railroads are still flush with capital at this point. So mm. I, let, let's talk about some of the improvements they made during, I guess, the golden era. 
let's uh, start with uh, let's go to the next slide. Yeah, let's do this. Oh, here we go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I see nice things. Okay, right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm also I... noticing a pattern here of things because that's uh, uh, and, and okay, some of this might be familiar to people who watch the last um, well, it's problem podcast, but we're taking a different, slightly different angle. So uh, absorb the content, my friends. Um, I yep. see, <laughs> I see, uh, I see uh, overhead electrification. Like a weird version of rigid overhead electrification here. Yeah, I see I, uh, I, more overhead electrification. I, I see uh, more overhead electrification with the GG1. Oh, my God. Uh, and I see third rail electrification. Yes. There's a theme here. Yeah, I stole this slide off of our battery locomotives uh, episode. Um, but, you know, in order to talk about how it got bad, we had to talk about the trajectory we were on before it started getting bad. Yeah. One of the big factors is electrification. Yeah. Um, railroads were definitely on a trend to electrify after World War I because it was so much more efficient than steam locomotives. It was so much more... Um, uh, it, it was cleaner, and they had the money to do so. Pennsylvania Railroad electrifies a bunch. Milwaukee Road electrifies a bunch, but in two discontinuous segments. Bad idea there. Um, yeah. So this, this, is, this is sort of... It shows that, all right, they were still willing to make capital investments back then. Now, yeah. notably, the Pennsylvania did do some uh, funky accounting that let them say that uh, all their construction was operating yeah. spec expenses, so they didn't have to pay taxes as a result. <laughs> but um, I, you know what? If you get better infrastructure, whatever. Um, but the strategy here uh, for infrastructure on the railroad is basically more is more. Let's let's go to the next one. Ooh, yes, I mean um, this is good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this really this reminds me of one of the horseshoes I did in Railroads Online. Um, R.I.P. Uh, yeah. uh, but yeah, uh, everything I'm seeing here uh, is pleasing to thine eye. Exactly. This is the horseshoe curve, um, <sighs> just outside of Altoona, Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, so your strategy again is more is more, right? So you you build more tracks, you run more trains, you get more freight traffic. You get more profit, right? A lot of uh, lots of railroads had, you know, four-track main lines, especially out east. This is a philosophy that's going to change, though. Um, you also have the Railway Labor Act passed in 1926, which is the the one that regulates uh, how we deal with rail, railway labor now, um, and that puts that's when the really long and difficult process to strike is. Um, created um uh, kind of initiates at yeah. that point okay yeah yes was that 26 did you say 1926 1926 yeah 26, and this yeah. is um and and this is when the railroads are hauling all kinds of different traffic um and you're you're doing this uh it's facilitated by having lots and lots of infrastructure yeah um there's there's not a lot of ways around it um and I, we'll we'll get to that in the next couple slides yeah. um so anyway, uh, World War II happens, and after that, the conventional narrative is, uh, give me the next slide. <laughs> Do this. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. There, there's, a, there's a conventional narrative I want to push back on here, um, which is, you know, the interstate highway system is funded in 1956 and instantly built out, or... Possibly it was retroactively built out in the late 40s, causing the railroads to go into decline as trucking takes over freight, right? Um, yeah. See, it's interesting because that's also <laughs> a narrative that comes out in the UK, which is wrong, spoiler alert. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's wrong. Uh, it's like, wrong. It's wrong. There's lots of decline. Certainly in the UK, lots of decline had already been, like a lot of the pieces had already been set for the decline and actually it had mm-hmm. already been happening for quite a number of decades. The railroads were engineering their own demise at this point. Yeah. They were actively making stupid decisions to cause themselves problems in the future, right? Mm. Uh, and a lot of traffic was deliberately ceded to trucks or cars. Um, now, there is an extent to which roads got a lot better starting in like the 19-teens, um, and this affected a lot of like streetcar and interurban companies. But um, there, there's there's a lot of stuff where disinvestment started early on. So mm. I guess next slide. Yeah. Um, okay. So here, on, I'm not doing a very good job of audio describing everyone. The previous slide, sorry, had uh, a big cloverleaf intersection between two highways. Um, and uh, and the, the the 1890 the January 1892 edition of Good Roads uh, magazine. Yes. <laughs> so there we go. And the next slide, the slide that we are now on, is showing um, it's showing Pittsburgh, um, yes. and it's showing uh, a variety of coloured lines reaching their way into the centre of Pittsburgh uh, city. Uh, from kind of uh, so there's some lines going out to what is that new uh, not not Newcastle but New Space Castle. Uh, and and kind of out to is that was that Blairville in yes. the in the in the east looks like it. Uh, God, is that where is that where Tony Blair lives? That's his that's his place. Um, and yeah. uh, oh God, there's, the, the dots are on top of the text here. Is that Connellsville? Connix? Connells? I, I can't. See. I, the one at the bottom uh, there, kind of probably, south of Ohio pile, uh, north of Ohio. Pile. Good question. That's somewhere near the town of 84, Pennsylvania. Um, oh, well, there we go. And then there's home, this... home of 84 Lumber. Ooh. It's Cannonsburg. It is can- <laughs> oh, there's, there's, there's Cannonsburg as well. And yeah, there's, anyway, basically a load of snaking lines reaching into Pittsburgh. I have no idea what these lines are yet. But so Ross this, is, this, is, this is the 1941 Pittsburgh commuter rail network. Uh, different colors means they're owned by different companies. I forget which is which, but I would say the blue is probably the Pennsylvania Railroad. Okay. Um, so, yeah. but this is, uh, I'd say the commuter trains are sort of the canary in the coal mine that stuff was going to go wrong. Mm. Um, it's reminding so, me a bit of, yeah, you're reminding me a bit of the, um, of the, um, like the Pennsylvania, like the, uh, you know, the, Conrail episode, like basically, you reminded me of the episode where that that it felt like immediately the railroads hated commuter traffic for some reason, even though actually yes. in in the UK it was quite different. Commuter traffic was always seen as like the as the, the golden boy, but actually in the US it was quite different. Just all the railroads just hated commuter traffic. Yeah, commuter trains were probably losing money. I, I'd say starting from like the 1920s. Um, yeah. So you know, commuter rail. These are fast, frequent trains. They do short runs. Uh, the fares are cheap. Um, all of this is pretty bad for the number, you know, ton miles per train hour. Yeah. Um, but they're also, uh, a lot of these commuter trains really started to lose money fairly early. Um, cause there's competition from cars, competition from electric interurban trains. Um, a lot of the service was not very good to start out with. Uh, yeah. Like I know this is, this is shown as commuter rail. Um, but this is also sort of. Some of these lines are seeing like two trains each way each day. Um, oh, yeah, that's useless. Yeah, <laughs> frequency, um, freedom, etc. Exactly. Um, and a lot of a lot of railroads really resist investing in commuter rail because you could do really good commuter rail if you had really good equipment and you ran it frequently. Um, but for example, the Pennsylvania Railroad got its last commuter trains in 1937, oh, um, yeah. and they were built they were built to a design from 1909. Um, <laughs> 
Oh no. Uh, most most railroads refuse to invest in new commuter trains or service without some kind of local or state funding. Uh, really, by the early post-war era, and they only operate those that they're legally required to. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's well, quite yeah, interesting because this is quite at this point. There's very much, a, uh, you know, people can try and unduly draw parallels, but at this point, there's very much a divergence in the way the history develops at this point. Because of course, in the UK, we've got a nationalised rail system at this point. And actually, okay, the nationalisation uh, in, in the initial years, it was all a bit of a shambles, to be honest. But quite quickly, the, the things started looking up. And, and commuter rail was a success story. So it's it's radically different trajectory to what was going on in the US at the time. Um, it's quite interesting to kind of, you know, sometimes people try to draw too many parallels from the Second World War onwards. But actually, the paths are quite different. There are some similarities, uh, like competition being fake is still a similarity. But... Like it's interesting to sort of yeah they're 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 two different paths for sure. Um, all right, so yeah. shall I shall I flick us on to yeah the next slide? Oh, it's a it's a milk tank car. It's a milk tank car. This is another another sort of business that the railroads really started to try and shed pretty early on. Mm. Um, and milk was an important railroad commodity, especially in the East Coast. Um, you transported them in these big refrigerated tank cars or in big steel kegs and refrigerated boxcars, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's fresh milk. It goes bad pretty quickly. So you got to run these, these short, frequent trains that go fast, right? Again, that makes the numbers sad. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times that's hauled at the head end of local passenger trains or even commuter trains. Um, so it's this this is a form of of business which is it makes money but the margins are low um, which is which makes the it, it and it has to go fast so you're making both the numbers sad the operating ratio and ton miles per train hour yeah, right yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, and and for the, and, and that makes the conditional formatting from the from the 1940s go bad mm-hmm uh, yeah, so when you've got your Excel spreadsheet with all the conditional formatting, it makes all the boxes go red, which makes the accountants unhappy. Yes. <laughs> um, and the other one, let's go to the next slide. It's Another dense. one is, of course, we oh, have there we go. This this wonderful thing called less than carload freight, <laughs> right? And so less than carload is when you have many different shipments for different destinations in the same box car. Right. Yeah. And this requires these big labor intensive, less than carload depots in major cities and at major terminals, which notably are significantly more space efficient than modern distribution centers. Yes, um, that is a key point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. They, they are more expensive to operate, though. Right. Because oh, you need yeah. you need lots of big, burly guys moving crates around. Yeah, um, it's, it's yeah. And it involves like a load of planks between the cars and it's a bit yes. of a nightmare for, for kind of safe working practices. And, and yeah, it's not hugely efficient, but also, yeah, in terms of land, in terms of space used, actually quite impressive because it, it kind of combines the movement and the warehousing kind of all in one. Um, uh, which yes. So weirdly I was, so I was for various reasons diverted off the M1 uh, driving about a month and a half ago uh, in the middle of the night and um, got diverted through what I would only, can only describe as like uh massive road distribution center hell um right. with just these enormous warehouses New Jersey. like like yeah, yeah yeah in this case it was in um it was in the it was in bedfordshire um but uh like near near luton actually so like some of the worst places in britain already but anyway um the in terms of just being utterly boring but uh yeah so it's like these sort of enormous and it's just so much land 
It's like you look at it in an aerial view and it's just so much land and it's all empty most of the time, which for railroads is good. But for uh, given that it's all tarmac uh, and it's a huge amount of space, that's bad. Anyway, sorry, I digress. But it just, yeah, it just put me in mind of how inefficient roads. Like this oh, yeah. might not look pretty to people, but actually it's not. It's it's a lot better than uh, than the road alternative in an urban area, frankly. I was about to say, uh, railroads, uh, pervious surface, actually. <laughs> so uh, this is all brake bulk traffic. So, you know, there, there is going to be some amount of freight that walks away. We haven't invented modern uh, surveillance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of it may... There, there's, a, there's attrition. It's just attrition. Yeah, Regular it fell attrition. off a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the other thing is this means the railroad can ship a whole lot of random crap to a whole lot of random destinations, and this may go to other cities. It may go to really small towns, which is the next slide. Mm. Here we go. Green Cove. Mm -hmm. Yes. Horse. This is a uh, Winston Link photograph from 1956. Um, this is Old Mod Bows the Virginia Creeper, right? This is a daily local mixed train that came from Abington, Virginia, which is way in like the southern part, right? Um, and and so another form of service that was run were these small local trains, right? Yeah. Um, they go pretty slow. They have a couple passenger cars. They have a couple freight cars, right? Um, and this is like you're, you're you're moving, you know, freight that goes to like local local businesses and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, and you're doing parcels and mail and stuff like that it's really essential service right yeah. and actually um, this is something that was they were still in the uk at the time like these services very much still existed in the uk at the, like at about this point like through kind of through the 50s and, and pretty much had disappeared by the end of the 60s but they were still a thing very much in the 50s and, and in fact we're still a lifeline at, at, in the uk at this point and i'd imagine it's yeah. the same for the us right lots of local communities these were a lifeline right yes um the the this um I mean, there weren't very good roads to Green Cove, mm. and there still isn't a really good road yeah. to Green Cove. <laughs> um, but the railroad is gone now. Um, it's like 20 miles of switchback mountain roads from the uh, from the interstate at this point. Um, so this this is another type of service which you know it's essential. Um, it may even run at a profit, but it's bad for number. Yeah, it makes the numbers sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Um, um, so we depart green coat, but so for everyone, there is, there is a, 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 a nag, if you like, with its head dipped. It is indeed bowing the local service, kind of puffing its way up the hill. Um, and there's, uh, there's just some, some, some local yokels sort of by the station. Look at kind of waiting for the train to arrive and, and yeah. actually looking quite pleased themselves. There's a dog that's looking quite pleased in the doorway. It's a picture of, of, I wouldn't say rural Italy, but rural contentness. You know, people are contented in this image. Uh, there we are. Yeah, and this this service is like okay. The, the, there's a bunch of stuff here that the railroad doesn't want to have. Uh, they got to maintain a building. Yeah. They got to have a freight agent here yep. so that Farmer Brown can drop off his harvest <laughs> and pick up his new John Deere tractor. You know, you have e even these these little things. They have to hire more people than they want to to do it. Um, so, yeah, you have to provide uh, people gainly, like gainful employment and, and, and support them to learn to grow and have skills. Boo! We don't want mm -hmm. this. Don't want that, yeah. Oh, yeah, dreadful. Um, so, next no, slide. An, another kind of service that was bad for number. Um, railway express agency services, right? This is for parcels and express freight. It goes at the head end of passenger trains. Yeah. And then, you know, you stop at the station, you take the parcels off, you put other parcels on, you know, so on and so forth. This was 
again, this is like a, a, a labor intensive thing, right? And then they deliver the the stuff directly to your door. This is like UPS before UPS. Although I think UPS has been around for a while. Um, yeah. So. Well, yeah, because yeah. this this is a good idea, folks. And what's ironic is yeah. that in in the UK right now and GB anyway, um, we're currently in the process of attempting to reinvent this <laughs> because it's actually a really good way to do. You know, they're like when you've got like a hundred like uh, kind of. Uh, Soul traders all doing Amazon deliveries uh, at the lowest possible rate in a city. It does not mean that you have a good traffic situation, and it is not an efficient way to move stuff around. So, um, yeah, funnily enough, we're going back to this. Certainly in the UK, we're going back to this because, or attempting to, because it's actually a really good idea, really good use of space. Um, yeah. So uh, I was called also. It was yeah. called uh, it, the BR version of this in the late days. It was called Red Star Parcels, which is obviously just awesome. Red Star. Oh, parcels. I like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So this is this 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 whole this uh, we described a couple categories of service there, which hmm. you know these are again, it's not that they don't make money, it's that they require a lot of money invested in them to make money, yes. right? Um, so this is where, you know, uh, the trucking industry comes in, right? And cars, which is the next slide. Yeah. Um, oh, God, I love that you've put the truck from Jewel in here. That please yes. me quite a lot. <laughs> That's very <I>, good. <laughs> so the, your, your real conventional narrative here is, you know, the railroads were like, boo-hoo, us poor railroads just can't compete with these new, this, this new interstate highway system, which mostly had not been built out at this yeah. point, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, in like the 50s and 60s, right? Um, and this is... This is like the public-facing opinion, but the truth is the railroads are sort of like, yeah, uh, thank God we can finally get rid of all this shit, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, that stuff that make the numbers go sad. Let's yeah, just make that, it that, that make, gone. That makes all the numbers sad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> even if you are making money off of it, you're, the return on investment, the operating ratio is, is unhappy, right? So they get out of these businesses like less than carload, like milk, local trains, commuter trains, focus on this very narrow core business, which is long, heavy trains that go fast between terminals, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's an easy cop out, frankly, at this point, right? Yeah. It's uh, you. You get rid of you get rid of anything that requires any kind of complexity of operation. Um, you know, and, and this is this is what enables a lot of the disinvestment that follows. Yeah, and in a um, way, this is almost like foresh. I mean, in lots of ways, this is foreshadowing. But I, I, it's, it's just put me in mind of one particular thing, which is like it's foreshadowing of a general attitude to the fact that everything is a you know all the services, all the the the, the kind of this kit is, and, and invariably the people, the staff that actually make it work, are secondary to this magical ideal of the the perfect type of train we want to run so and it's yes. almost like it's that attitude almost like decades before the current crisis like of starting to really culturally embed of everything is secondary to running the big bulk train many miles the the ideal railroad owns zero track and runs zero trains i've said this before <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> yeah. yeah oh god <laughs> Yeah. So um, we jump uh, forward to the next slide. Jump uh, forward a little bit to. Uh, I mean, I'm using this as sort of to generically talk about the immediate post-war era. Yeah. Right. Big productivity gains in uh, in American railroading, right? Because you have diesel locomotives. Uh, you have multiple unit power or control, right? You have 
some railroads electrified, but and most people in the, in the industry at this point thought electrification was inevitable because that ekes out some productivity gains over dieselization. But uh, no one wants to do it first is the thing. No one wants to put that capital forward. Um, I would describe it as like, you know, the, the whole industry was like uh, a bunch of penguins at the edge of a cliff. You know, yeah, and then yeah. they, they push until one falls off and the, to see if it's safe to uh, go fish or if it gets immediately eaten by an orca. Yeah, um, yeah, but no yeah. one actually falls off. Um, yeah. yeah, no one falls off until yeah. the present day. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I suppose if anyone wants, like the, if anyone wants to get the full history uh, of this sort of era, kind of, uh, then go back to the World Is Your Problem podcast episodes, the the epic saga of the Penn Central, right? Uh, yes, and I, I did a full episode on like the failure of American railroads to electrify with uh, 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 Bill Humphrey on uh, Arsenal for Democracy a long yes. time ago. Yeah, um, which you've, which you've, uh, yeah, which. Um, Oh, no, that's not the one that you've cross-hosted, but there's, there's, you can yeah. find it easily. If you Google it, you'll find it, folks. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel like the, the failure to electrify is one of the things that enabled a lot of the boneheaded decisions that followed. It would have, um, it, because it would have made the railway work so much better. It's almost like it would yes. have kicked them out of a vicious cycle of cultural malaise. Yes. They've got, have, they would have been an example of, ooh, we invested, it made a good thing happen. And that might have like kicked them out of this vicious downward spiral, right? Yes. Maybe. You know, if you had put that investment in, you would have a very different railroad today. Yeah. Um, yeah, and all of a sudden, things like commuting would have been cheaper because commuter trains, when they're particularly when they're electric, are just unbelievably light and cheap. Like, yes. they're light and they're cheap, and they just don't cause any track damage, and you can run them to death. Like those those things are. You, you look at the you look at the, the the southeast in the UK and look at how long the Mark One slam door electric stock was running, right? Uh, decades and decades and decades. And okay, crashworthiness was horrible, but actually, they, other than, like so long as you didn't crash them into each other because you fatigued a signal engineer, um, those trains were could just run. They could have run for another thirty years. You know, they were they're bomb proof. The uh, the Pennsylvania Railroad um, bought their first MP fifty fours in. Uh, I want to say like 19-oh-something. Uh, they're multiple unit cars, and they ran up until like 1989 on SEPTA. Um, they donated one to the Railroad Museum of Pennsylvania, and when they got it onto the property, it fell apart like the Blues Brothers car, uh, and they had to scrap it, unfortunately. <laughs> Oh no! Well, that'll do it. That'll yeah, do it. That'll yeah. do it. Oh crikey! Anyway, sorry, I we've right. massively segued, but um, yeah. Yes. So, so things are afoot at this point, as you say. Um, yeah, exactly. There, there are events failing to occur that should yeah. have occurred. Yeah. Um, but you know, you have you these big diesel trains. You have fewer crews moving heavier trains farther in the same amount of time than they ever have before, mm. right? Um, and the railroads, a lot of them took a big hit to maintenance in the war, but most of them recover quickly, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you still have long-distance passenger trains. They're popular with the traveling public. Many of them hit like 100 miles an hour pretty regularly. Mm. Um, then we have this, this, this 1946 Naperville, Illinois wreck. Um, and this is, this is another like turning point, right? Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, so... The FRA, so what happened was there was 
an advanced section of a streamliner and then the regular streamliner and the advanced section stopped because they had a problem with um, something on the a, on a wheels, right? Okay. And while the engineer was coming out and checking it out, um, the regular streamliner just whacked into the oh, back. Oh, no. That killed, like, killed like 45 people. Um, so, uh, and it was at like 80 miles an hour. You've not covered that, have you? You haven't done a uh, WTO. We, we have we have not done the Naperville crash because it is it is a a pivot a pivot point. I would say this is a, um, as Matt Crisman would say, a hinge point. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, FR the the FRA uh, after this regulates train speeds. Um, trains cannot exceed seventy nine miles an hour without a cab signal system and automatic train stop, right? which neither of these trains were equipped with. Yeah. Um, and so rather than invest money in those systems, the railroads just lower the speed of everything. Oh, no. Don't, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> and this is, uh, by this point, okay, we talked about how the roads weren't good at this point, but they are improving. And they're right? good enough they're... that all of a sudden that tips the balance quite radically into journey times being substantially better to drive even if it involves insane you know like multi-day trips yes uh yeah it 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 becomes it it, all the schedules just get worse right um apart from really isolated uh instances of improving stuff um so then we we enter sort of the crisis of the 60s and 70s which is mostly in the northeast right um so railroads in the northeast of the United States, you know, you got lots of dense population up there. Yeah, systems optimized for short hauls, short trains, yeah. mixed traffic, all this stuff. Uh, lots of switching cars, not a lot of high speed running over long distances, right? Which are things that make the numbers sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and so these railroads are, they are making money. I, I, this is a crucial point. They are making money, but do you want to do essential maintenance and infrastructure improvements so you can compete in the future, or do you want to pay the dividend? You're going to pay that damn dividend. Going to pay that dividend, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a no-brainer. How else um, do you undertake the, the minor low-level uh, crime and... Um, and uh, the employment of sex workers without paying the dividend. You know, this is true. It's... This is true. So, <laughs> the um, and I'll I'll try and be brief about Penn Central here, but you know, the, uh, the Pennsylvania Railroad and New York Central Railroad were two of like the really big railroads in the Northeast. Pennsylvania Railroad was the biggest railroad. Um, a, a lot of work had been done trying to figure out what the best merger partners were because neither of them were in great fiscal health at this point, but. Uh, is a question of do you merge the Pennsylvania Railroad with the Norfolk and Western Railroad, which was a coal conveyor belt that printed yeah. money, um, <laughs> yeah. and then you would you would also merge the New York Central with the CNO, another coal conveyor belt that printed money, <laughs> or what if we merge these two unhealthy railroads together to a super railroad, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, and as as we know from WTYP's episode on the subject, that went wonderfully, and there weren't any problems. Uh, that was, was a, great; everything went well. It's a goddamn disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a one goddamn worst, engineering disaster, and there are of, slides on it. One of the worst decisions 
uh, made in American corporate history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it it did not have to be like this. Um, <laughs> yeah, there were there were there were a cate- there, there were a, uh, kind of a cascade of of, of fuck ups that led mm-hmm. to that and like and like uh, kind of collisions of circumstance that led to all of the worst decisions being made in yes. a, in a straight line to lead to the worst possible outcome. Yeah, totally incompatible corporate culture. Um, everyone hated each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, the management was stratified so that at one level of management, it was Pensy guys. The next level down, it was New York Central guys. The next level down, it was Pensy guys. So everyone, everyone, everyone fucking hated each other. Um, uh, you wound up with a railroad that had a suddenly disparate, you know, duplicate routes. Um, it had lo- lots of duplicate in- infrastructure, Right. Um, and meanwhile, they're still trying to get rid of these services that make the numbers sad. Uh, they managed to shed passenger trains to Amtrak. Uh, Amtrak's created by um, our, 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 our most social democratic president, um, Richard Nixon. Um, <laughs> they managed to pawn off commuter trains to municipalities or discontinue them entirely. This is the era where, like, cities as big as Cleveland lose all their commuter trains. Um <laughs> And uh, it's not enough. It goes bankrupt, of course, right? And the big you know, pop, the, biggest, em- yeah. biggest corporate bankruptcy ever, right? Ever, yeah. Just it ever. was the biggest one ever. Um, I think I think it was not exceeded until like Enron, um, and uh, the reorganization. And the reorganization leads to the creation of Conrail, which is a quasi-nationalized free rail system. Uh, in the Northeast of the United States, of course, when when Penn Central goes bankrupt, it takes a lot of other smaller railroads down with it. Um, so uh, Conrail is quasi-nationalized, but its mission is to make profit. Um, it's not to provide it's not to provide essential freight services. It is to make a profit. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, yeah, crikey. <laughs> yeah. So so this is. This is, this is what happens when you run government like a business. Um, <laughs> yeah, abolish the treasury, folks. Um, exactly. Yes. So, so, how do we how do we take this failing system and start making money? And the answer is on the next slide. Oh, here we go. It's something called demarketing, right? <laughs> on the screen right now is a um, fairly short wheelbase. Uh, kind of boxcar made out of wooden slats and timber and corrugated yeah. iron, and it looks a bit shonky, to be honest. This is a stock car. It's yes. for uh, livestock, right? Ah, yeah. Livestock was a particularly difficult form of freight to handle because you know you have to feed the animals so they don't die before they're supposed to. Um, <laughs> yes, you have to keep them alive yeah. so they can be killed. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, so we talked about, you know, seeding all this traffic to trucks. That's a big demarketing aspect, right? Yeah. Um, Conrail's management really took it to a new level, and they demarketed, like, entire sectors of, of, of carload freight traffic, like yes. livestock, for instance. They just stopped hauling it um, uh, broadly. I think they still did have one train that went to a – one set of shipments they couldn't get rid of that went to a kosher butcher in New Jersey. Uh, that <laughs> ran until, like, the late 80s. Um, and then they managed to even butcher that. Yeah. yeah um, but after the, the Staggers Rail Act is passed in 1980, it makes a lot of this stuff much easier, right? Because uh, you, you, you have the railroad is, is – they deregulate the railroad 
they take a lot of the decision-making power out of the hands of the Interstate Commerce Commission. Mm. I believe it was abolished shortly afterwards. Yeah, F containerization uh, had already, like, like the, the battle at the Interstate Commerce Commission had already, like, they'd been screwed by the box, right? They'd already kind of had their monopoly on, on goods carteling kind of somewhat smooshed. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, we'll get we'll get to containers later. Um, so, uh, in addition to demarketing, it makes stuff like abandoning rail lines a lot easier, right? Um, yeah. And this 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 does a number of things. Um, you, suddenly, you can abandon all these low margin branch lines. You can rip up the rail if it's good rail. You can use it somewhere else on the system. Um, right. You know, you can start lifting excess tracks. You can. Um, this also puts pressure on workers, right? Because you're running a smaller system with fewer trains. All of a sudden, it's like, uh, oh, gee, I might get laid off permanently. Um, and, and so you, you, you can exercise pressure that you didn't previously yeah. have against the union because you have the threat of, well, maybe we'll lay off another thousand workers, you know? Yeah, if maybe you we'll don't just give us this that demand. entire bit of the yeah. network, and all those people will lose their jobs. You don't, wouldn't want us to do that, would you? Oh. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, sure. I guess uh, let's move to the next slide let's here. Let's do that. Uh, oh, oh, this is this is a nice thing. This is nice. Tell what. So on screen right now is a diesel locomotive with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six double decker. Uh, I presume commuting, but maybe just. Yeah. No, what is that? Is that NJ? Is that New Jersey? It's, a, it's New Jersey Transit. Yeah. Uh, New Jersey Transit. See, I've never seen one of these in the in the wild. Um, maybe I will in the future. Um, anyway, uh, it's very nice. Seven car, double deck commuter train. Uh, it's a bit so weird this, to see local hall commuter trains, to be honest. But that's a US. The, the US does that in a big way. Uh, you may notice there are two trackways here with no tracks on them. Oh yes, we can see here. Here is a single track railway. Um, yeah. For a commuter, sir, and here you can see on the other side, uh, and also you can see an empty track. This is, I mean, the UK did so much of this in the 70s and 80s. Uh, oh, sad. There's, 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 the two tracks have disappeared. Um, they're gone. Uh, might have been a good idea to have them there, to be honest, but there we go. Um, so this is the former Central Railroad in New Jersey main line, right, which is now the New Jersey Transit Raritan Valley line. It was used to have four tracks, Lots and lots of freight trains headed to New York City, but also freight trains that were doing local service, stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, once you streamline service patterns through demarketing, through getting rid of the traffic that requires complex operations, stuff like that, uh, all of a sudden, maybe you don't need four tracks here. So you lift up those excess tracks, you use the rail somewhere else or reuse the ties. That saves you a lot of maintenance costs, right? But it also reduces capacity, um, and and there's there's this happens sort of first on Conrail because they're in super austerity mode. But this is this spreads all over the United States, right? Um, and uh, keep in mind, most railroads outside the Northeast were in okay financial shape. They were not doing especially badly. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some interesting discussion going on. Hyperspeichel has and uh, having some, there's some nice chats going on about um, about metropolitan populations and how these were being shaped at the time and and, and the fact that actually there, there was absolutely a justification for an increase in these sorts of services, which maybe you know 
or wasn't happening. And it's, in fact, you know, the four track could have been quite valuable to, to run higher density commuter services, you know, like skip stop yeah. sort of patterns and all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, alas, not. Unfortunately, yeah. I still think there's a good number of freight trains that come through here. I'm not sure about that. Oh, really? That, oh, God. So, yeah. But this was. Uh... It's a classic stopping train in the way of the through train capacity plop situation. Yes. Yeah, not great. I want to say I want to say this extra track on the side is where the freight trains go. Um, but you know, this oh, is also I see. when yeah, yeah, there's this yeah. knackered thing here. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's also there's you also um, eliminate a lot of maintenance intensive features of tracks like say super elevation, right? Um, which I think I think all y'all have a different word for. Uh, well, we call it. To be honest, we do call it super elevation. But yeah, everyone ah. who's watching this who doesn't know what super elevation is, uh, it can't. Uh, yes. Here we are. Here is a uh, here's a nice on the corner here. Here's a nice sleeper with two rails. Uh, one rail is higher than the other rail. This value yes. here, uh, we refer to this value here as e, uh, which is uh, e is short for super elevation, um, but in the UK we call it can't, and that is. Uh, can be useful to balance a bit of the lateral forces through curves. There we are. Yes. There's our lesson about can, everyone. Especially uh, on tighter curves if you want higher speeds. That's bad for the. It's bad for American freight cars is, is one of the big things about it. That's why there's very little of it left anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's... Uh, yeah, and it's... Um, See the see my short run episode that I never uh, series that I never finished called the permanent way where I used city skylines to explain this stuff but mm. uh, yeah, where I explain more about can and why it's a good idea but also sometimes a bad idea um, but yes uh, I, it's the sort of thing that requires a maintenance regime because um, it's an alignment is less forgiving if you have some cant on it because if you don't maintain it properly you might get a twist and that's a good way to throw a train into a tree yeah. Um... So uh, on Conrail, they start doing all this stuff early, right? Uh, it spreads around America afterwards, right? Because Conrail became, returned to profitability so quickly. Um, you know, uh, so all, all this redundant track from the new service patterns, which are mostly long trains point to point, um, they, they, they get rid of it. They're just like, yep, don't need that anymore. They down, you can downgrade maintenance of certain tracks to lower speeds as well. You know, it kind of it doesn't it it's it's very much a uh, uh, it's a it's an austerity mindset, even while the industry is making money, because you got to you got to make the operating ratio happy. It's all right? about that operating ratio, even yeah. if it means materially very little and has absolutely no reflection on the fact that by this point, the railroad is a critical service for like not even by this point for a very long time the railroad had been a critical service and a critical function in, in the in the in, in allowing communities to exist and to function yes uh, and and that is funnily enough not factored into a uh operating ratio at all right but uh, fuck you buy a car yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's also the uk attitude to this day uh sometimes um so shall i uh, shall i hop forwards yeah. let's um, go to the next one Ooh, it's, a, it's another map from Trains yes. Magazine. Thank you, Trains Magazine from 2006, yes. uh, the, the Kalmbach Publishing Company. Uh, yeah, you know, this, you know. is, uh, this is a map of where American railroads were double-tracked, I want to say in 1951. Um, mm. Anything that's colored is double-track. Mm. Uh, and this is all just main lines, right? Um Wait a but minute, I've after... just noticed an immediate thing, which is that not there isn't a single railroad that is consistently double track 
from one ocean to the other. No. Not a sing- none of the transcontinental railroads, as in none of the, the coast-to-coast railroads, are double-track for their entire length. Nope. Oh. It's all single-track with passing sidings. That doesn't feel which, like a good are, thing. Which is going to be important later. Uh-huh. <laughs> Put that now, down in your copybooks, everyone. Exactly. <laughs> um, now, let's look at uh, uh, the state of things more recently. That's the next slide. Mm, let's do it. Here we go. Oh, I might flick back and forth a bit so we can pay a bit of attention. Yeah. Okay. I so see is... substantially fewer bits of double track. There's fewer there's fewer railroads in general. There yeah. is actually a little bit more continuous double track across the country, but uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. there's fewer railroads in general. Mm. Um, and this this reflects just, you know, how they you, you lift track because you have fewer service patterns because you're only doing the stuff with the highest margins. And while you're making less money overall, you have made the numbers happy. You do have a better operating ratio. You do have a better, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, you, you are moving more ton miles per train hour. You know, you're using fewer people to move more stuff, even though you're moving less stuff overall. The two numbers uh, are happy. It doesn't matter that the, the reality <laughs> is that you've, uh, that you've massively diminished the service. No, 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 yes. no, 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 no. That's not relevant. There's only and, two and, numbers, and now the numbers are happy. And and your services are very, very limited at this point, right? Um, you're not doing, like, anything that's direct to consumer. You're not doing anything, you know, like, you're not bringing the, the Farmer Brown, his brand-new John Deere tractor down at the freight station. What you're doing is your, um, you know, Farmer Brown has to bring his uh, harvest to a farmer's co-op which then has to truck it to a bigger farmer's co-op with a, a rail spur. And then, and then that, you know, that one's big enough that it's worth it to pick up three cars a week, you know, yeah. once a week. Right. That's gone. Um, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, sad. Um, yeah. So we have these two maps. Uh, we've got to the point where uh, we've diminished. Uh, this is such a okay. There are it's a, another one of those situations. Two very different paths in story, but across the Atlantic, back here in weird in soggy island. Um, yeah, we we were also doing this sort of stuff. We were rationalizing. We were getting rid of double track and, and putting in single track. Basically, shrink wrapping our infrastructure to match a service pattern that was very much of a certain period of time. Now, in the UK, from the mid-80s onwards, we, we started seeing very dramatic growth of particularly the passenger uh, railway, uh, which didn't necessarily happen in the same way in the US. But um, anyway, sorry, but, but yeah, cont- oh. so I, I don't know. Continue on the, on the tail and we shall, we shall see. We saw a big growth in traffic due to something goofy. Um, so, but first, I, I, I will mention that Oh, yeah. During this sort of era, we're in sort of if we're looking at this along a linear timeline, consider us to be in like the late 80s, early 90s right okay. now. This is the era of the mega mergers, right? We go from I want to say 45 railroads down to six. Oh, there we go. Very, very quickly. Um, you know, so you're down to six, uh, six class one railroads. The class ones are the big, the really, really big ones, right? Um, but one thing that happens, and you can see it on this map. Um, the, everything on this map is a reduction in track, right? There's no yes. new main lines except for one. It's, be, it's in eastern Wyoming, 
between Donkey Creek and Shawnee Junction. Eastern Wyoming, we are. So yeah. between, uh, are. so Donkey Creek and uh, Shawnee Junction, this bit. It runs yes. approximately north-south. Yes. Um, and so this is, this, this is another one of those things that like changes everything. Um, we'll go to the next slide on this. Um, here we go. One of the things which was completely verboten from, you know, uh, uh, investors at this point, do not build new tracks, do not build new main lines. That's crazy. Don't <laughs> do that. Right. And you can only explain this through a counter example, which is the Burlington Northern Railroad wanted to build about a hundred mile line out to the Powder River Basin in Wyoming to get all that sweet, sweet sub-bituminous coal, right? <laughs> um, and that's the line we just looked at there, right? Um, and there was a shareholder revolt over this, right? Several, member of, several members of the board resigned oh when God. they voted on building this thing, <laughs> right? But the line did get built. Um, everyone thought it was crazy. Um, and it was the single most profitable investment any railroad ever made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my God, it drives you crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, exactly, my God, we invested right? and good things happened. Yes, exactly. Revolutionary. It, I, I think this is also like the first new main line built in America since the Lackawanna cutoff in 1916. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so there, there's... This this is assisted by some uh, some of the law of unintended consequences here, which is the the Clean Air Act, right? Um, going to regulating certain criteria pollutants, not including carbon dioxide. Um, it was suddenly much much cheaper to instead of installing a stack scrubber in your coal power plant, you can burn this subbituminous Wyoming coal, and it's much less efficient, and you need a lot more of it, but it doesn't have as much sulfur or nitrous oxides in it. So, uh, screw Appalachia. Yeah. Uh, let's <laughs> yeah. get this. Yeah. Let's get this Wyoming dig coal. All of the Appalachian mountains simply up. <laughs> Just dig them up, mm -hmm. uh, and then send all of them in a train. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you need twenty trains instead of three trains, uh, because goddamn, we're going to burn that stuff. Yeah, they make ass loads of money off of this, and it generates. Ass loads of traffic, right? Uh, if we look at the next slide. Yeah. Um, oh, there, there we are. Yeah, you yeah. can see that they're, they're, uh, they're burning Wyoming coal as far out as New Jersey. Um, <laughs> yeah, crikey, here we are. Uh, and then if you look at the traffic gen density generated by this on the next slide. Oh, well, there we go. Yep. That's, that's where you want a six-track electrified uh, freight mainline. Good God. Oh, uh, no, no, you, you, you can't do that. Can't oh, electrify. You, you can't do that. Anymore. Uh, That's right. Sorry. Single of another... partially single track, uh, diesel only. Yeah, and then uh, and and that's because of uh, that's because of of course uh, another thing we invent in this era, which is the excess height car. Oh God, yeah. Um, here yeah. Here that's it is. The, that's a, here is the that's excess the height yeah. car. So, yes. essentially. How do you run trains heavier, faster, so on and so forth? Well, you can make the train cars bigger, right? So these excess height cars become very commonplace. You can see a, a gigantic Norfolk Southern boxcar here for auto parts, right? Yeah. Um, and then down here is an auto rack, you know, also for moving cars, but finished ones, right? Um, 
these excess height cars become like the standard car, right? And that that precludes certain investments in the future, like electrification, um, just because it you have to increase the height of so much infrastructure over the railroad yeah, I was gonna say, in order to accommodate. Up, yeah, you, you squeeze out whatever you can out of the existing loading gauge to just fit the physical train without any potential leftover space for, a say, a pantograph or yeah. some live electric overheads. So that, yeah, you're, you're, you've, got, you've squeezed every drip of space you can. Um, and as we'll get to, in some cases, by singling... Uh, tracks to, to to centralize the track through a, a you know a low bridge or whatever. Yes, uh, under a low bridge or under a tunnel or something. Um, so these excess height cars become basically standard um, uh, everywhere, uh, and this this makes the number happy. Yeah, makes um, the number happy. Don't require inve- infrastructure investment. Hooray! You know, you can, I suppose you can renew these vehicles. Yeah, you can basically treat these as like uh, rolling stock renewals, right? So again, it's not counting as infrastructure as like capital investment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, another thing, another thing that happens, of course, and this is like seventies onwards, is containers, yeah. right? We there have containers. We have the stack train. The stack train is, you know, this, these are more excess height cars. Um, they are, you know, one of one of the big things that happens here is the railroads focus on long, heavy trains, but also, you know, unit trains, right? Mm. That go from terminal to terminal with one one commodity or one kind of freight. Right. You know, so a long coal train or a long crude oil train or a long, you know, gravel train or whatever, um, because you're you're maxing out the uh, the efficiency there. Right. Containers are great for the railroad for this because they are, you know, you go to a port, you pick up the containers and you bring them to an inland port. Right. And although they have high value stuff in them, they're not very time sensitive. Because they just spent two weeks on a ship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, sure. which is why I laugh when people suggest that an, a viable application of hyperloop is for freight. Because no, it doesn't matter whether the thing takes twelve hours versus two hours. Yeah. It's Do been you, on a boat no for three weeks. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Um, so yeah, these 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 container trains are interesting because they also change how the railroad thinks about statistics because containers are really space inefficient compared to traditional rail cars so uh, modern modern uh railroads go for just straight up train length as opposed to ton miles per train hour (laughs) we'll get to that in a second um yeah, well, this on the is... subject. Sorry, go on, Ross. You, you, you oh. finish your point. Oh no, no, go. You go ahead first. I was going to say. I was going to say. Uh, we've both read the box, right? It's an interesting thing to read. Yes. I mean, it's, it's it's well worth reading. Cause it's just fascinating yes. to sort of see that that kind of side of supply chain history. But um, I'm in two minds about the box because it, it has made things uh, and logistics better. In a way, it's made things more favourable for railroads than 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 HGVs because actually you with with a mixture of shipping and, and railroads you end up with a very efficient way to move goods goods around which brings good, the cost of goods down for you know people and you know that's nice that's good yeah. we want people to be able to afford nice things that's fine but also it has you know rapidly decimated um, a large section of the workforce in a very uncontrolled way and without much in the way of government sort of regulating it to make sure it didn't cause a huge amount of pain. Um, so yeah, two minds about uh, about uh, intermodal uh, cars. I, I mean, I, I think 
I think it's good, but also it's resulted in in because of the lack of because of capitalism and the lack of like government regulation. It's also resulted in enormous amounts of outsourcing and exploiting cheap labor in places where governments uh, don't care. So especially where you look at like how how bad people in the drayage industry have been done by this yeah, um, yeah. drayage being you know that's when you move the container from the port to its customer. Yeah. Um, well, in the know, UK, for example, I, mean, I think this was similar in the US. Um, new ports that basically just didn't involve any unions were created and became successful. And then so all the unionized work is one of the reasons why Liverpool, they've built their deep water port. But because all the, <clears throat> the dock workers remained a part of the, the, the traditional unions, um, uh, they weren't able to be exploited. So Liverpool was never quite as successful as, say, I don't know, Felixstowe that created itself yeah. by just omitting to have any unionized workforce whatsoever. Thankfully, that's changed and they're striking and causing all manner of pain. But originally, I think it was basically a massive union bypass that enabled Felixstowe to kick itself off quite so successfully. Um, well, a lot bad. of drayage in the United States is run by uh, almost like a gig economy thing yeah, um, yeah. where they have like there's like a, you know, you get paid, but you also have a rent to own program for your your semi truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, so a lot of people are effectively get negative wages. Um, just so yeah, dreadful. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're it's, earning it's really and, bad. And then your money goes out. You pay for your truck, and you you then have to sell your house. Uh, you know, not the best. So I think one one of the interesting things about um, containerization, especially in excess height cars, is there was one country on the North American continent because Canada was doing a lot of the same things we were, but in Mexico. In Mexico, they had a nationalized system, and they were, they were trying something else, Ooh. right? Um, if we go to the next slide. Um, okay. So, there the uh, Ferrocarril Nacional de México was actually pursuing an electrification scheme that was going to go from uh, Mexico City to. Hold on, I can do this. Santiago de Querétaro, I want to say it is right. Um, that was supposed to go farther. It was going to be like a, a transcontinental thing on their most dense freight route, right? Um, and they bought, they they finished it. They built the electrification. They bought electric locomotives. They had some teething troubles where two trains whacked into each other and killed four people and destroyed six of the ten locomotives. Oh, um, dear. Yeah. So yeah, that was not so good. Um, but the whole thing was built out. Um, and then, I like... This is good. I'm seeing... But I, I, this may be foreshadowing. I'm seeing an yeah. issue in these pictures, though. Yeah. Uh, As, uh, the, yeah. The catenary hangers are facing the wrong way, huh? Yeah, all the <laughs> yeah. cantilevers have been kicked to one side. Hmm. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Continue. <laughs> Just, well, oh, um, dear. you know, and the other thing is, like, you know, the, the National de Mexico was uh, very much... Um, you know, it, it provided, it, it was not just a railroad, it provided, you know, social services and stuff to remote areas of Mexico. Mm. There was a whole lot of uh, passenger service. There was all kinds, all kinds of crazy stuff going down, happening down there that we didn't have in America. There was, the whole system was on a very different trajectory. Anyway, uh, they privatized it in the 90s. Ah. Uh, yeah. Don't and do it's that, bought, folks. Um, the electrified route was bought by um, TFM. I forget what that stands for. It was later absorbed into Kansas City, Southern de Mexico, right? Um, and they were like, they took one look at this electrification system, and they were like, yeah, fuck that, we're running double stacks. 
Tear down, tear down the wires, boys. Oh, my God. How many years have those wires been up? I think less than 10. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's a disease of the mind, everyone. A disease mm-hmm. of the mind. It's crazy. I, I, it's, I, and also they canceled all the passenger trains in America. There are no passenger trains in Mexico now. Um, <laughs> it's just absolutely wild. Just outside of like local trains out of some of the major cities. Why, was, uh, why, why did the privatization happen? Was it just was it just sort of an energy within Mexico, or was it sort of partly pushed by the more broad sort of uh, North American trade agreements and stuff? What? what was it entirely Mexico just doing a doing a dum dum uh, like like its northern cousins, or was it or was it was there an element of wider North American politics at play? You know, all right. Um, I bet it was NAFTA. I don't know <laughs> yeah. specifically. I, I I just looked up when was NAFTA passed and when was Nacional de Mexico privatized, and NAFTA was nineteen ninety four. And Nacional de Mexico was privatized in 1998. So yeah, I would NAFTA. guess. Oh, it's I, yeah, it's yeah, NAFTA. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep, that's uh, Washington consensus strikes again. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, jeez. Yep. Oh, this is goodness. something I, I want to do. I want to do an episode of Well, There's Your Problem on this at some point. Uh, just the Mexican electrification program and the privatization. Because it, it's so... It's... it's It'll be, the, wins- it'll be the winciest episode of WTYP there has ever been. Everyone will just be like wincing their bone in- their bones inside out mm-hmm. like watching it because of the inevitability of the stupid. Yeah, oh golly. Yeah, there's just there was there was a way out. There was a different way to go. No, no, <laughs> F, get rid of that. Yeah, get rid of that. Right, b- brief interlude. We're 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 oh my god, we're an hour and a half in, uh, which yeah. is lovely. It's fine. I, there's going to be a long one. We've got the two of us on, and we uh, what are we like? Um, just as a brief interlude, I'm drinking uh, Funky Drummer from uh, 71 Brewing Company, which is um, uh, which is very nice actually. It's uh, brewed in Dundee in Scotland. It's an nice. it's a it's a DIPA. I don't know what a dipper is. Uh, it's a double IPA. Oh, it's a double IPA. Thank you, Ross. Yes. Uh, and I'm about to drink a, a Madison West Coast IPA, which again is it's actually Scottish. Um, it's it's uh, it's a it's another Scottish beer. But I'm looking forward to this. I'm gonna I open this. I'm gonna get the authentic. There we go. Just so people think it's real. I'm also drinking this out of the APT mug. Uh, thanks, Simon. Um, because it's only right. Um, what are you drinking, by the way? I have my favorite beer. It is called The Shape of Hops to Come. It is from the Chamonix Creek Brewing Company, and it is an Imperial IPA, which is the same as a double IPA, but you want to use a different word. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, to be fair, I, Imperial, there is a sin, something sinister about an, uh, an Imperial IPA. I will, I, I will, I will say that. But I the Chamonix say, Creek, you've mentioned the Chamonix Creek before. I think yeah. you must have been drinking on another episode, uh, possibly a, uh, a WTYP yes. episode. Um, yeah, I, I I drink a lot of these. Will um, you will you feed me a, a, Sha- a Chamonix Creek Imperial IPA uh, when I visit Philly? Uh, absolutely, we can go up to the brewery. It, it's a good brewery. Ooh, <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, yes, please. That sounds amazing. Right. Anyway, sorry, it was a brief digression, everyone. Uh, but cheers. Um, oh, that's a nice color. Actually, it's quite amber for a West Coast IPA. Okay. Yeah. It's nice. Um, sorry, Ross. Let's let's do yeah. this. All right. Well, okay. Well, I guess we're getting into like the the modern history now. Some of the stuff that directly led up, although we did we did a lot of long history there. Uh, the thing to keep in mind here is while the railroads are shedding services and disinvesting, the job is still like tolerable to do. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, this is this is still like still like something that 
you know, as much as the railroads are disinvesting, like this is still like you can be a railroader and live. And so we'll talk about we'll start talking about some of the stuff that happened really in the last 20 years where as the railroads have been disinvesting, it has made it much harder for workers. Um, One of which is uh, on the next slide. Um, Wide adoption of what's called distributed power, Mm. right? So uh, the idea is, all right, you have a long freight train. You have a lot of in-train forces, right? Because there's like, there's slack in the couplers. There's like... um, you know, you might have heavy cars and light cars, all kinds of stuff that can happen. That The practical limitation there is you you can't run trains that are too long. Yeah, because um, it, it, it just all sorts of bad things. The bad things will happen. Bad things happen, yeah. Um, but, you know, a really long, heavy train is something that makes the numbers happy. <laughs> so that's why railroads have always been trying to run longer and longer trains. Um so this thing called distributed power shows up, and this is really invented in the 60s, but not not widely adopted until surprisingly recently. Rather than having a bunch of locomotives up front, which are all controlled by two guys, we can use radio equipment to have um, locomotives in the middle and the back of the train also controlled by the two guys at the front, right? Um, and so this means your risk of certain kinds of derailments, the string line derailment in, in particular, is much reduced because you can adjust, like, the slack, the in-train forces uh, over the length of the whole train yeah, all much sorts more of clever, easily. Yeah, all sorts of clever electrical controls and time delay stuff that mean that you can make sure that you you always got exactly the right amount of tension in the couplers, right? Exactly. And and so this means, you know, you could use this to run trains you already have more safely. Or what if we made trains three times as long? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what um, if that, Rose? What if that? What, what if that? <laughs> what if that? So train length goes from like 100 cars on average to 250 cars oh, on average. Um, so uh, distributed power, these DPUs, they're, they're used everywhere now i i noticed them really starting to uh show up on csx like about four years ago and i was like oh they're using distributed power and then i was like huh these trains are a lot longer than they yeah. used to be oh, wow um, yeah oh, golly. so th- this is this is something um which is not directly related to and in fact directly interferes with the next thing we're going to talk about which is precision scheduled railroading oh god yeah here we go so yeah. we're on we're on the slide a slide that may be familiar to, to yeah, people who've already I, binged uh, WTYP but we're, we're going there folks because also I'm glad we are going there because this I have to say I found this your explanation Ross was instructive on the thing we're about yeah. to talk about it's really good um, yes and I so uh, precision scheduled railroading um, we've done spiel's about E Hunter Harrison before uh, we've done spiel's about like. Um, you know, he, he, he implemented this management style called precision scheduled railroading. The idea is that rather than focus on moving trains, you focus on moving cars. Uh, you know, you have the idea is you have trains that run on schedules, very strict ones, 
and which uh, bypass intermediate terminals and instead bring cars directly to the destinations, mm. right? Uh, and this should theoretically produce a better railroad that runs better for everyone, right? Um, and this is something that should uh, uh, actually reduce stress on crews because there would be more trains that are scheduled as opposed to having trains that are on the extra board or having trains in pools where you could be called up at any time, right? Um, this is It should make shippers happier because they know when their stuff's coming in time. And, you know, especially in our, our sort of modern world of lean production where stuff has to show up just in time, yeah, this seems like the way to go, right? Yeah, instinctively um, feels like a good thing, right? Yeah, this this seems like what we should be doing. Now, the way it's been implemented is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, so we're going there, folks. This is this is a, a I would say a a com a complicated issue to like, you know, look at holistically, right? Um, but combining PSR with the amount of uh, deferred maintenance, the amount of inf infrastructure reductions, um, it's it's not compatible. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and so there's some thing things. So before we jump to the next slide, there are some things on this slide that we have to kind of everyone should write down yes. in your in your copybooks, right? I was um, about to say, yeah. Uh, there's there's two in particular with um, which are one's related to excess height cars, the other is related to um, uh, using less infrastructure. Yeah. Um, so up here in the corner, uh, upper, upper, which corner? This Hold corner on. here. I'm doing the, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, so this is Thurman, West Virginia, right? Um, and Thurman, West Virginia used to be a big coaling station on the Chesapeake and Ohio. Gareth, when you come to the United States, you're going to get to go here uh, or go through here. Um, so what you're seeing here is there's a double track main line through the Appalachians along the New River, right? Uh, and this goes from, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, it, go, it goes through like the Chemical Valley in uh, West Virginia and stuff like that, or if you're more cynical, the Cancer Valley. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this used to be a, like a really big coal uh, uh, route. Now it sees a lot fewer coal trains and I think like one manifest train a day. Uh, manifest is like a, a mixed freight train. And it also sees Amtrak's uh, Cardinal, which goes the slow way from uh, New York to Chicago. So this, what you're seeing here is a double track main line that goes down to one track and then goes back up to two tracks. There you go. So this is splitting into two tracks either side of my little triangles that I've just put. Here. Yes. yes. Because ordinarily, if you want to do a crossover here, because one line goes on one side of the New River, the other line goes on the other, but they both meet back up again. Hmm. Ordinarily, what you would do here if you needed a crossover is you would do what Gareth drew down here. Yes. Um, you know, and you have two tracks continuous, and you have four switches. Yeah. But, but that involves four switches. So I'm just that's gonna four switches that one, you have to maintain. Two, three, four. Um, so why do that instead, when you can get rid of this bit? You can, bye yeah, bye. you could just get rid of two of the switches and maintain slightly less track. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is that this is this is in York, 
<laughs> There's one of these in York Station, in, like near me. Um, Incredible. On the Scarborough line, uh, what was two tracks, exactly as we've just drawn, is now, in fact, I'll just I'll scrub this and show you what this now looks like, which is, it now does this. Up, up, like that. And now you've only got two switches to maintain. Um, got, it makes I sense. I 10 seconds before I can see it. Yes, you'll, you'll see this <laughs> momentarily. Yeah, the, everyone, uh, OBS decided to update and kill all of the apps that make things work. Uh, so thanks, OBS. I loved yeah. you until you did this. Uh, why do you cause me pain? Anyway, that was my filler material so that Ross can catch up. Um, the, yeah, it does this. Uh, which you know, There used to be a, a double track. They got rid of it because uh, on paper, that looks good to create efficiencies because you've halved the maintenance requirements. Except what you've done is make a crappier railway uh, that is harder to schedule things over and does not work if you want to run more services. Yes. This is bad. Um, so th this, is, this, is, this is one of the things which has reduced the capacity of American railroads. Another one is, of course, we use excess height cars. So down here we see, um, I believe this is the Howard Street Tunnel in Baltimore. Um, it used to be two-track. But now I have tall cars. So uh, this is where the first electrification in America was, by the way. Um, so oh, sad. Rather, than, rather than do something expensive, like, I don't know, digging out the bottom of the tunnel or, you know, running smaller cars, um, they simply move the track to the center of the tunnel where there's the most clearance, right? And only run one track through this previously two-track tunnel. Yeah. Um, there's one of these in Philly, too, that goes under the art museum. Used to be two-track. Now it's down to one-track. That means CSX is constantly idling big diesel locomotives, waiting for access to the tunnel, right in, like, a residential area. And also, like, you know, the DPU, which is, like, half a mile or a mile back, is idling in the middle of Children's Hospital. Oh, my, um, <laughs> oh my. Um, it's great. It's incredible. Also, I, I spotted something in this picture, and I, to, and I was kind of like, think, it had an itchy trigger finger on the chat mm -hmm. in the in the WTYP episode. Is this an old like OLE base? Uh, like, what is this? Wait, is where? this question mark? Oh, hold on. I, I haven't seen what you've been oh, highlighting. I have yet. circled the little concrete oh. base on the bottom black and white picture with the tunnel where the tracks have been centralized. There is uh, what that... appears to be like an oily mast base. Was this like formally electrified and then unelectrified? Um, yes, this was uh, the Howard Street Tunnel was the first uh, mainline electrification, of it was. I believe, ever. So uh, that's yeah. what this was, and now, uh, now, now gone. It's gone. Gone. Yep. It's, it's gone. You don't yeah. need electrification. It's it's don't bad. Don't need electrification. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's obviously a bad thing, so you have to get rid of it. Anyway, right. So uh, with all of this, uh, I'm not going to do any more sketching in the bottom corner here. You'll be glad to know, everyone. Yeah. Uh, no more sketching because I have prepared. <laughs> I've prepared a thing. Uh, here it is, uh, Roz. You're going to see it in ten seconds. All it right. is. Uh, yes, it's an emulation of a sketch that you did. Uh, you John Maddened this. Uh, I've I've pre I've I've pre second guessed the John Maddening. Uh, and I'm going to be your John Maddening pen uh, while we make an explanation of why some of these compromises result in a much worse operational situation, particularly for workers. Yeah, so I would say precision scheduled railroading and really long trains directly conflict with each other, but the railroads have really gone for the really long train aspect. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's why it's been seen as sort of a, uh, a, a euphemism for cost cutting as opposed to like a better way to run a railroad because yeah. it's mostly just the long trains. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so let's say I got two terminals here. 
and I got to move 150 cars each way over this railroad, right? Some of this railroad is double track, right? But most of it is passing sidings, and those passing sidings have a length of 75 cars, right? Um, so the old way to do this, we're going to run four trains of 75 cars, right? And that means I need four crews, and I'm giving them one day a pay each. Um, because because we're, we've been in lean production for a while, I'm sure that includes some overtime. Um, so anyway, we have precision scheduled railroading shows up and also our monster trains, right? Um, we, ha- we can run these longer trains, um, but our passing sidings are the same length. Now, theoretically, what you do under PSR Maybe you combine the passing sidings so they're longer, yeah, or so you build more track or something. But, but I, I don't know. What if we do this on the cheap, right? <laughs> I call up two crews, and one crew takes 150-car train to the end of the double track. Nope. And then they stop, and then they wait yeah. for the other train there, and you know they sort of twiddle their thumbs for six hours, and right? Because goes, all these... Exactly. up here and then it goes back again all this yeah. way and then it goes it, back here and then the tail end at some point in the indeterminate future the tail of this t- train is going to go back this way uh, yeah. freeing up the tracks right yeah so the, 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 the you know this crew is just sitting there at the end of the double track and you know they're doing nothing they're not allowed to do anything because there's in cab surveillance of course but the, yeah the other train that's also 150 cars going the other way makes it the full way but the first crew is now timed out, so you got to call another crew out at, you know, 1 a.m. in the morning, right? Um, and they got to take the first train to the other terminal, right? So by increasing congestion and paying a crew to do nothing for six hours, you've only paid three crews where you would pay four crews before, <laughs> And, and lo and behold, the spreadsheet is happy. The, the, num- <laughs> the number's very happy about this. And the other thing is, once you're running these long trains that don't fit in passing sidings, if there were, let's say, an M-Track train that was coming through, a passenger train, um, and you're like, well, we should probably route the, uh, the fast passenger train around the slow freight train, you can't do it. Nope. It's physically impossible with the infrastructure you have, right? Um so this makes everyone mad except investors. Um, yeah, because you're you're unpre- people- all your passengers yeah. are stuck in a passing loop. Uh, your crew is just has their lives ruined. Yes. No one except the, the shareholders are happy. Yeah, the shippers are mad. The crews are mad. Passengers are mad. Everyone's mad. The, the locomotives are probably mad. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. It's just so this, it's just not the way to run a railroad at all. And this is this is compounded by like okay, what is precision scheduling, right? Which is our next our next slide here. Mm. Let's do this. Here we go. So theoretically, if I have precision scheduled railroading, I have precise schedules, right? So, you know, you have a train that leaves one terminal at a fixed time and then goes down the main line and arrives at its destination at a fixed time, right? That's what we see sort of on our first diagram here. And if there's a train that's going the other way, 
I know where I'm going to meet that train. That's where I build the passing siding, right? Yeah. Which is, by the way, how all freight works in the UK. <laughs> like, right. We, we yeah. do not have the capacity to do anything other than this. Uh, yeah. So the reality is um, our precision schedules have a precision of about, there's like two hours of error bars on both sides. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? So we, we see on the second diagram there's a range of times where these trains might meet each other. So either you build a really long passing siding to compensate or double track, or you have to delay a train and you don't know which one you're going to delay. Yeah. Right. So this is, th this is a situation that has a significant amount of randomness. Hmm. Um, and this is also sort of, uh, 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 compounded by the fact that, uh, um, Yard crews right now are under a lot of stress because um, uh, the railroads have, rather than trying to get stuff done quicker with more people, they've uh, they've asked people to just uh, just inspect the cars more quickly. Just like let us get this train out of the yard, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, but also you'll be sacked if anything happens. <laughs> you know, like it's your yes, responsibility exactly. if it goes wrong. Exactly. But also do it in uh, much less time. Go and also, if we don't like your performance, we'll sack you. Yeah, but uh, even if the trains leave on time, there's enough randomness added into the network by all these problems that we get stuff like on the next slide here. Um, here we go. Oh, this is this uh, is slides. I spotted this. Is, these uh, this is it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this is this is data that was compiled by rail fans because. The railroads will never let you see this data. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. no one, no one would ship with them if they saw it. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, everyone, uh, Chuffernutters slash uh, uh, Grisers slash Band Nerds slash uh, book holding train spotters are good. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, they allow us to get access to data that <laughs> otherwise we'd never get a hold of. Exactly. So this is um, this is a plot of train arrival times at Horseshoe Curve, which we showed much er earlier in the uh, presentation, right? Um, unofficial ones compiled by rail fans. Uh, when certain freight trains with certain symbols uh, showed up at Horseshoe Curve mm. every day for a year. Um, and you notice that of these three trains on this first uh, graph here, there's a pretty wide distribution, especially on train 20W, which is just a straight up normal distribution. Yeah, it's, it's, a, a bell curve. it's just a normal it's distribution a, of the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, it might show. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. Now, 20W in this case, 20W is a train which is a continuation of a Burlington Northern Santa Fe Z train. The Z trains are some of the highest priority trains in the country. They haul all your Amazon shit from the Port of Los Angeles to the East Coast. Um, and that should theoretically run on a very strict schedule are those but, the ones uh, that were getting ram raided in that when they were uh, in that short section of track on the, like uh, on the no i think that the z train would be trailers on flat cars not ah, containers okay. Okay, okay. um so and that was going to the los angeles inland port uh, that's another aspect of having these very very long trains they don't fit in the yard and then they get robbed yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> so oh dear you know, if you're running precision scheduled railroading, you don't want a train that sh can show up at any hour of the day. Um, and this is one of the reasons crews really get screwed and why they're on call always 
because you don't know where the train is going to yeah. be. Um, yeah, these if we hop back all... to the example you gave uh, in the in the sketch, right? So we yeah. got this crew where we've got this crew change that just randomly at some point because they've 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 timed out. That could be anywhere, right? That, that anywhere. could be anywhere. It could be at any time of day. And as if you're the if you're the like the the reserve crew, uh, you just have to have your phone on the whole time. And uh, you, you go back to this the the twenty W here, this blue one that's just like just is a normal distribution. Any you have absolutely no control of your life. How is this a viable way to to, to have a? This is not an acceptable way to to treat stuff. And when this when this stuff happens, I mean, you're you're on call. You get like two hours notice at best to okay, wake up, sober up, um, get down to the terminal. All right, we're park your car, uh, get in the shitty van. The shitty van drives down 65 miles of dirt roads next to the railroad, and then and then all right, get in the locomotive, go drive it somewhere. Uh, and then the shitty van brings the other crew back, um, and yeah. it's. It's it's crazy. It's, Everyone's it's knackered. Fifty percent yeah. of the crews get killed in a road traffic collision on the way back. Like, exactly. Everyone's exhausted. It, it, like fatigue management is absolutely critical, and it's 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 like a worthwhile point uh, that the majority of people who work on the railways are who who get killed or get severely injured. Uh, they suffer those injuries in the car on the way back, in the van on the way back, because they're fatigued, right? Um, I I bet I remember. that's the same here. I remember hearing a story, I forget from where or from who, of a, a railroad engineer. He was driving home late at night, and he got to a red light. And he thought he was still driving the train and was like, oh, stop and proceed, right? So then he drove through the intersection very slowly, 15 miles an hour, and he got pulled over by a cop. And he was like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a railroad engineer. I, I, I'm not, I haven't been drinking I just forgot I wasn't driving a train. Yeah, I'm so fatigued <laughs> and my brain is so addled. I think I'm in a train. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, our second chart. So these are trains coming from the west, I believe, on our first chart here. Our second okay. train are um, uh, westbound trains that originated Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right? Harrisburg is about 100 miles uh, east of Altoona, where the Horseshoe Curve is. And... There's already like three hours of distribution, and yeah. when they show up, on average, um, these delays really, really stack up. Yeah, because there's right. so much randomness, um, and there's there's so much, like, uh, uh, you can't. Where are the schedules? Where are the schedules? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this? Where's the precision in these schedules? Where's the precision? Yeah. Where's the schedules? <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's just not, and and and, and it means this. You know, we talk about there is value in optimizing infrastructure. Um, yes. you can't do that where you have a system looking like this, right? Yes, you 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 can't do anything. This is one of the reasons why I. This is one of the busiest uh, main lines in America, and this is why. Um, so between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, there is one Amtrak train a day, yeah. and they are currently running studies. To do a second one. Oh my god! And in order to account for all this randomness, they have to invest like three hundred and something million dollars into extra tracks just to run a second M-Track train a day. <laughs> so this actually—it's worth. So we had a question actually, which I think maybe is, is interesting to pick up on this. 
Um, um, and and let, let me know, like, you, you might have an idea of the, on this. Um, uh, this is from Remy uh, Cardona. Hello, hello, Remy. Um, question for Roz. How's the Florida East Coast doing with respect to this for, for Brightline? How, do, how does Brightline work in relation to the freight around it? Florida East Coast has historically been run by insane people. Um, I want to start with that. Um, Basically, what they do is they run every single freight train very tightly scheduled at 60 miles an hour, like big, long gravel trains and everything. Uh Um, That railroad is run completely different from every other railroad in America. Um, And they're upgrading everything to double track. They're doing they're doing so much crap down there. It's crazy. Um, So they're actually doing good things. So that's how they make it work by actually doing the stuff they need to. Yeah. By running the trains. Good. (laughs) <laughs> you, okay. you can just run the trains good instead of doing it bad you could run the trains good uh, i know uh. it's bigger on a bigger railroad fec does have the advantage that um it's you know it, it's a a straight line a straight line two-track main line and you know the handoff cars in like jacksonville or wherever to the class ones but you know again I, I, they they figured out how to run the trains good um uh, Besquikelhausen points out completely non-union, though. I Ooh. believe no. I believe they have uh, reunionized. Oh. Brightline is non-union, but I think Florida East Coast Railroad itself is union. Okay, oh, um, interesting. Okay, uh, Brightline, get on that. Uh, workers of Brightline, uh, make that, it happen. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say. Uh, you know, it's. Um, I it will see. A, hopefully, a big, big union uh, uh, boom sometime soon. Um, yes. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Uh, thanks for the questions. Yeah. Do keep chucking them in at me in so I can spot them. Um, Roz and I are keen to take your questions. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's fun stuff. Anyway, right. So um, you might want to scoop them up to the end because we'll definitely do a bit of a yeah. uh, we'll definitely do a bit of a Q and A uh, kind of catch up yeah. at the end. But anyway, right. We shall proceed and make progress. So uh, uh, shall now, we jump to the next one? I'll go to the next one. Yeah, for sure. Um, ah, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our big, our big, the big issue here is that. All this shit is working. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, this is the worst thing. In terms it, of by revenue, their measures, it's, it's, it's yeah. yeah. Oh in terms of revenue, all all this disinvestment and stuff. Look at how much money you're making per mile versus back in 1916 when you had a lot more mileage. Like, oh my god, um, all these all these railroads are like uh, fucking. I, I, they're 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 making money hand over fist. I mean, I want to say. Uh, class one railroads put up profits of sixty-six billion dollars last year. Um, one hell. nasty statistic is since twenty ten, um, with the operation operating ratios so low as they are, most most railroads are down below sixty percent now. Um, it used to be eighty percent was good. Now sixty percent is good. Um, they've done I want to say one hundred ninety-six billion dollars in stock buybacks. And dividend pay. Why are they not investing? They're making so much money. Like, just an insane, like, more money than they could, like, more money than they could possibly spend on infrastructure upgrades. So why don't they spend some of that money on infrastructure upgrades? There are some infrastructure upgrades happening. Um, But they're, like, really... It's it's just it's just because the clearances are too low for double stacks. Oh my god! That, that's that's like all of it. It's not like oh. increasing capacity or anything. But they could. It's, it's like with the money they're making, they could double, ev- redouble every line. Um, yes. Invest in maintenance. Just you know, but just put a maintenance. You know, they could basically invest some of that money in the long term and pay for maintenance off the interest, 
and they could electrify everything. They could do all of that they, with they like literally one year could of electrify everything. <laughs> yeah, they could. They could literally pay for the electrification of every mile with that kind of money. Like it's just it, wild. It's it's such a crazy amount of money that just goes to. I mean, the dividend is one thing. The stock buybacks are the really insulting part. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, absolutely. By the way, everyone, just in case you were, were wondering, uh, capitalism is just an absolutely insane way to structure society uh, and yes. structure the way that we that, that our society functions. Uh, and that's the root cause of all of this, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, right. This Sorry, on true. screen for the, the, the audio-only people, on screen is a graph. Uh, the the left-hand axis is root miles. The right-hand axis, uh, sorry, the left-hand y-axis is root miles. The left-hand, the right-hand y-axis is revenue per mile. Um, the... Per mile revenue uh, is basically rocketing upwards exponentially and, and really takes a shooter in the, the kind of the mid to late 70s is when it upturns. Um, and in the late 70s is when the other uh, line, the blue line here, uh, which is just how many miles of network there are, uh, goes the opposite direction and just like falls through the floor. Uh, and, and interestingly, we, we often see graphs like this uh, in the UK relating like mileage to... Um, uh, you know, relating to the everyone causing the beach and cuts, but the klaxon would go off right now because they're not. They're the cuts that government made through the middle of the 20th century to the rail network, uh, some of which was fair enough because it was pointless uh, competition between companies, but a lot of it was actually providing a service to people that is now gone, and we're now battling over how to reinstate a lot of it. Um, and, and a lot of people go... Oh, look, privatization happened in 1993, and that means that that's why there's so much more ridership on the rail network. It's like, nope, nope, much bigger. And this is to answer a question that happened much earlier, by the way. I did see the question. I'm not ignoring it. Going, um, yeah, the reason that the UK had that big upsurge in the mid-'80s um, is, well, partly because the rail network got really, re British Rail really had things down by the mid-'80s. Like, British Rail were running an incredibly effective rail system. Um, by the mid-80s. Like, okay, sure, lots of bits of it were still crummy, but they were running, like, really, it was a very efficient system and running pretty decent service. Um, but also, frankly, it's bigger than the railroads. Like, it's bigger than the railways. And I suppose this might be the same in the US. The massive upsurge in passenger ridership, it sounds like in the US as well, comes from bigger things than the railways. Like, just people wanted to travel around. They had more disposable income. They were commuting in, they were in places and working types of jobs that meant that the commute might suit a rail commute. And so there was a demand for that kind of tra travel. Also, people got more aware of their sorts of journeys they were doing. Like road, like road usage had got saturated by the by the kind of the, the, the mid to late 80s, certainly in the UK. And it got congested and traffic was shit. And people wanted to actually maybe ride a train and were becoming environmentally aware. So all these big effects, but particularly around the fact that people had a little bit more disposable income by the mid to late 80s, means that rail ridership was booming in, in, in certainly the UK. And, and I guess maybe that ma those, ma I don't know, Ros, were, were those macro effects some of the ones that were acting in the US as well? Um, so it, it, it's interesting because the railroads are hauling less freight now than they were in 2000. Oh, okay. Um, you, you, they have still been shedding traffic. Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly a demand for railroad service, but it's yeah. it's really increasingly going to stuff that really can't go on a truck like hazmat and like, oh, wow. um, yeah. Yeah. you know, a, a really huge bulk commodities. Yeah. I, I mean, this I, I, I would and then passenger rail ridership I, I has been going up recently or was at least until covid. Yeah. Um, but that's only on areas where you can provide. Service, provide which, a service, yeah, 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 service which isn't 
completely stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, yeah, like, the Cleveland, like, like the Cleveland service, that I think yeah, uh, Jay like, was talking about earlier, which is like what two night. In fact, we talked about this. And I think in the last, Oh no, no, we were talking about, um, uh, Cincinnati, weren't we? But, um, yeah, the fact that some of these cities, these, these massive cities have like two trains a week or, or like maybe two trains a day, but both of them are in the middle of the night or something like that. Yes. Cleveland has three trains a week. Each way they get in. Oh, excuse me. Cincinnati has, Three, tra- three trains a week each way, which get in at two in the morning. And then Cleveland has two daily trains, which I think get in at one and four a.m. in the morning, oh respectively. <laughs> Just, that's not a rail service. That, that's, that's not it's, a thing. It, it, yeah, well, uh, the uh, Ohio governors have long said, well, Ohioans don't ride the train. That's why we don't need a train, even though they have the, the most obvious rail corridor in America yeah. is <laughs> Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and nah, we're, we're not going to do that. Yeah. It was actually in the original Amtrak plan. Oh, okay. To keep yeah. that, the one that was the one that was drawn up by McKinsey and Company, and then shown to McKinsey and Company, of course, infamous for destroying and cutting business, and then they showed it to the Nixon administration, and the Nixon administration was like, "Yeah, cut that by two thirds. Come on." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. So it's I, it's so it's so painful. I I. I I don't know, and I think that's also one of the things which really contributed to how bad it's gotten. Then yeah. I don't I. You know, I, maybe there, if there's a grand unified theory of railroad operations, um, it's that you need passenger trains to keep the freight trains disciplined. Oh, that's in, yeah, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can believe that definitely worked in the. So, so obviously the UK has a totally different railroad in terms of like the the, the mixture of traffic, but I, but yeah. actually, if you go back to the end of the 1800s, I think probably you can see that comparison of like um, the the freight. Uh, you know the, the dominance of freight and, the, and that battle of passenger services. Yeah, that's that is the grand unified theory. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, right. places like places like Russia or like India or like China don't have these problems yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> because they have to schedule around the passenger trains, and the passenger trains have to be have to have at least some semblance of being on time. Yeah, um, have to be functional. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I rode trains into Mumbai, which is one of the world's most insane and massive uh, cities. And, Ooh. oh, my God, the scale of the... I, I, the first thing we did was get a bus across to a station from the airport. We landed in Mumbai Airport, got the bus across um, uh, to a, sta- a commuter station and then got on a commuter train. And immediately I was stood next to an open door going at uh, 70 miles an hour. Uh, oh yeah oh it was the good stuff and also it was sardine cans so dina i'd made sure like dina was standing like two like two meters and a hundred people away from me and i was stood holding on to like a, a cow loop uh with just the outside world going past me at 60 to 70 miles an hour uh in a pretty well-built emu fair play like that's the sort of emu that would happily just bulldoze a, a like a bulldozer block without any problems. But um, yeah, that was a quite experience, and, and they run the an impressively useful railway. And also, there was freight going past. There was also freight on that railway. So Amazing. The thing, the thing, the thing about the thing about Indian railways, which always impresses me. I've n- I've never been there. I've only seen videos. But it's like it's not so much the speed of the train, but the violence of the speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yes, yes. I yeah, want to go yeah, there, I, but I'm sure I would be killed on the Indian railways uh, um, doing something stupid. M- Mumbai is an amazing city to visit. I would strongly recommend if people want to, if people, I, I was out there for a reason. If people have some reason to be making that kind of a long journey, and but definitely do it at some point in your life. It's well worth just yeah. experiencing humanity on a, on a, on a, on, a, on another level. Uh, Mumbai is like that, amazing. But also the railways are kind of cool. Like they've got that broad yeah. gauge, and the commuter services are incredible, and uh, it's pretty, it's pretty epic. Um, anyway, a digression. Let's jump yes. to the next slide. Okay. Uh, oh my so, God, it's the Matrix, right? So okay. one of one of the things uh, I, I think is sometimes proposed is, all right, we have we have all these horrible working conditions, and we're running these trains in all these different ways, and maybe maybe one of the ways we can try and uh, try and um, improve this is computers. Beep boop, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beep, the computer beep, can fix the problem. Yeah, yeah we could, yeah. we could, we could try and automate these trains, right? We could have some level of automation there. Um, now, the truth is, stuff like automatic train control is ancient technology. Stuff like automatic train stop is, they had that on steam locomotives. Yeah, I mean, that's not yeah, new. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's not new. It's, so. it's not new at all. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why it hasn't been implemented on the wider American railroad network, and that's because management is lazy. Yeah, um, I yeah, think we could is, do these things. That, that's fine. Like it's doable. Could. Yeah, I, I think there there is a, a really big theme here, which is management of railroads is lazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, do nothing, make the money. That's that's the yeah. that's the ethos of rail, railroad management, right? But one of the what some recent locomotives have been equipped with, there's two systems that, you know, you could call like a railroad auto throttle, right? Mm. Um, these these are like, uh, so there's two systems. There's leader and there's trip optimizer, right? Mm. And these are essentially for optimizing the freight trains for fuel economy, right? So our three-mile-long train is now being controlled by a computer for the sake of fuel economy. Um, now these, the, both these systems work differently. I believe trip optimizer, um, don't quote me on this because a lot of this is the, the narrative around these systems is very tightly controlled by locomotive manufacturers. Um, yeah, because this is the magic wizard that they deploy to say that they're doing technology and modernism and innovation. This is the wizard they installed in every locomotive. So Trip Optimizer, which I want to say is the GE one, okay. or former GE, now Wabtec, because the locomotive industry is collapsing, um, is uh, uh, it, it, it's sort of like uh, they manually proga- program in what the train should be doing at certain points along the route, right? So, you know, you have a, you have a fixed start point, a fixed end point, and then there's a program for how to manage the train over that period. And then you, as the locomotive engineer, are supposed to let it do its thing unless it's doing something obviously wrong, um, which it does frequently. But also you can be you can be disciplined for not letting it run as it wants to for stuff for, 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 for too much of the time um, because you're wasting the railroad's money. Uh, because you're using too much fuel, preventing the train from derailing. Um, the other system is leader, and this one, this one's a piece of work. It it runs on machine learning. Oh, uh, okay. Machine learning works sometimes when you have enormous volumes of data. I'm going to go with there is not nearly enough data for it to actually function for you know the number of train services running in the U.S. I, I don't think that's enough data for it to actually be a thing. 
it's been trained on simulators mostly. Oh, that's a bit like the machine learning that um, was was hunting for like child cancer based on X-rays, and mm. it was identifying it with a hundred percent hit rate because all of the um, data that had the that had the the the, the, the successful like the, the actual cancer identification um, in the corner of the X-ray image, it had like the address of the hospital. <laughs> and the machine learning was identifying the address of the hospital in the corner, and the other data had a different address. Like it's that sort of thing. Like, oh my god, learn basic data training ethics, folks. Uh, anyway, so it's yeah. it's um you know it's like let's we forced a bot to play nine thousand hours of Microsoft Train Simulator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see how it does on the real Mariah's Pass, right? <laughs> um, oh, and this one of the things is that if you have a machine learning system like this, presumably. You want it to learn. Someone mentioned this in a comment on our last Will There's Your Problem, the one about battery locomotive, uh, lo- battery electric locomotives. Um, that if you're doing a machine learning system, presumably you want the engineer to take over when it's doing something wrong and the machine learning system can learn from it, right? Um, but the railroads want their fuel economy, so you're not allowed to take over unless there's like some actual problem that's going to occur or like if there's you know if if it's going to if it's a place where it's known to split or derail trains and there's there's more than a couple spots where it is known to everyone if you let these automated systems go they will derail or split a train there yeah um notably horseshoe curve has had a a lot of derailment problems that it never had before over the past two years um and there's (laughs) You know, and, and, and these trains derail in front of God and everyone on the uh, on, on the virtual rail fan camera, as well as the little observation point there that's a tourist trap. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's basically no scrutiny of any kind over these systems. It is it is Tesla full self-driving beta for trains, but it's been around for about five years now. Um, and this is this is uh, another one of these things where, you know, if you are a railroad worker, in addition to all the fatigue, in addition to the no days off, in addition to all this crap you have to deal with, the surveillance, the everything, you are put in a dilemma of, all right, do I take over the train from the dumb computer <laughs> or do I let and, and possibly get disciplined for it yeah. or do I let it do a stupid thing and split the train or, God forbid, derail it? And uh, then they can write it up as a mechanical failure, and I'm fine, unless I'm killed in the derailment, of course. Um, <laughs> oh my God! Just, just, yeah. I just, I just noticed in the in the chat from Uncritical Simon. I think there's a fully automated freight line in Australia. There is. It runs iron ore. Uh, it, it's an iron ore line, so all the trains are very consistent weight, and they are very consistent. Uh, uh, they run over the same line. It's like a conveyor belt. Yeah, Both I was gonna say it's a conveyor trains. belt. It's doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it is doing what railroads do best, which is exactly the same thing to the meter and minute, uh, repeatedly. Uh, yes. Which, which is good for track alignment design. It's good for uh, the system that you describe because you can basically just program. You don't need to machine learn it. You just program it in, right? Uh, you just program in. Well, on this minute of the journey, you're going to be at sixty miles an hour, and you're going to need to go to to zero throttle and then coast for this long, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. A lot, a lot of those, uh, a lot of the. Uh, there was a fully automated coal line at the Navajo mine uh, uh, 
until I think a, a, a year ago or so. Or no, I think it's still fully automated. They just converted it to diesel instead of electric. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, so, you know, there's there, there certain, certain forms of railroad that are very easy to automate. And general merchandise freight is not one of them. No, no. <laughs> uh, metro lines are that, where you're particularly yeah. well, you're building a new system. Um, mixed freight, no, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> it's just no. You, you need you need a, a a guy with a brain to do it. It's um, someone with a load of skills brain. that it's impossible for a computer to understand. Yeah, exactly. Because there are so many variables. Oh, the traction conditions given the weather. Uh, the traction conditions given the pressure. The traction conditions given uh, the you know the health of the locomotive. Also, the type you know the the length of the train. Knowing how much mass is in the train. All those variables. It might my, sound my like idiot. you can program them into a computer. You my idiot, my idiot yard foreman built the train wrong, uh, yeah. so I have to uh, I have to compensate for that. You know stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, and also things like knowing that there's slight eccentricities on the track. On you know, like oh, actually, I know that they've done this thing to the track, uh, or there's there's actually I need there's a wet spot that I have to deal with there, so I have to bring the speed down, otherwise I'll get a rough ride and risk a derailment. Uh, have fun getting the computer to get all that stuff into it without it just not just like exploding it's not gonna happen i don't think the computer is going to be able to deal with the wrong kind of snow yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly oh yeah 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 so so uh these computer systems you know they are overseen by a two-man crew but what if what if we went down to one-man crews Ooh. yeah i wonder what that would do to the to the conditional formatting in my spreadsheet well well it'd be half as expensive to run the train but this has been this has been like the big bugbear uh, for a long time that the railroads have have wanted to uh, do for a while. It's like okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go down to one man crews because you only need one guy to drive the train, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's essentially you have a conductor and the engineer. The engineer drives the train. The conductor's in charge of it. Um, but what if we went down to one guy who was in charge of the train and drove the train? Yeah, that's um, a good thing, right? That definitely is going to be yeah. fine for that individual's uh, health and well-being. Yeah, uh, one one yeah. one guy constantly surveilled in the cab of the locomotive, yeah. who's been who's, who's who's expected to sit at attention constantly. Um, and this is, uh, I think, someone on Twitter recently made the point that uh, the one-man crew thing is more of something to hold over labor than yeah. something the railroads could practically do. Um, just because you don't have the signaling for it, you don't have the track for it, you don't have there's there's all these aspects of it where it would be basically impossible to run a one man crew with the type of reliability issues that freight trains have right now. Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say because obviously uh, there are a lot of people in the chat right now saying you know this is this is how the UK run or the or GB. I always need to correct myself because I'm not including Northern Ireland um, in that, although it is the case in Northern Ireland generally. But um, yeah, in terms of GB. We run our trains with a with a single, you know, they're they're, they're single staffed. You know, we have a, a one person crew in those trains, um, but that's because we have a certain level of system reliability on the infrastructure. We have a certain level of, you know, we have signalling, <laughs> which yeah, yeah which, uh, you, you, you some you of the US railroads don't. Yeah, if you're running a a three mile freight train over two hundred miles of dark territory with paper yeah. orders, I don't know if you want. I don't know if you want one guy to be in charge of that. <laughs> yeah. That's you do not want one driver in that train. Uh, yeah. uh, not least because I think after 
I got I I would absolutely definitely uh, go nuts uh, in that cab after the first hundred miles. Uh, I would oh, I, something would snap inside me after my first shift, and I would probably I'd probably be found like hanging from a tree in my pajamas or something. Like it, it yeah, wouldn't go well. I'm, I'm thinking if you're like in one of these situations where you're stuck at a red signal for eight hours and it's just you there twiddling your thumbs, right? The other the other thing about that is. What do you do when someone has to go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I suppose you pull the train up, you just pull it to a halt, and you get out. That way, that's the safe way to do it, right? Pull oh, the train up are... completely, get out, have a little whiz, uh, pop back in, happy days. You that's know, definitely you know, you know, that definitely won't mean that you'd be immediately sacked and then lose your whole, whole livelihood. There, so there. Okay, I got to tell this story. This is tangential <laughs> to the current go, labor re- relations, but this is also why Cruz called Norfolk Southern the Nazi Southern. Um, and that's the <laughs> oh, poop God. bags. Oh, God. So locomotives have toilets on them. Pretty much all of them do. They vary in quality. Uh, newer ones are better. Uh, Canadian locomotives also have coffee machines on them. Their unions have negotiated that, which. Union is, stuff is nice. and also French heritage. That's got to be the French yeah. influence, surely. That sounds about right. Yeah. So anyway, um, Norfolk Southern decided, I want to say in the 90s, they were like, we don't, we don't want to maintain these locomotive toilets anymore. This is oh annoying. So they started welding them shut, right? Oh. They welded the door shut to the toilet. Oh. Uh, and then they, they were like, well, if you need to go, uh, just use this little baggie. We'll, oh, we'll give you a little baggie there. A little please tell bag, me that right? those baggies became projectiles at the offices of the, of the railway. Well... They didn't. They didn't at the railway, but people who are fed up just throw them out of the locomotive, and people keep finding these poop baggies <laughs> next to, next to the uh, right of way, right? Um, and people started calling up Norfolk Southern and complaining. So the solution here was not to make the toilet work again. Make the toilet work again. You had to get a numbered poop baggie. Oh my god! And if you used it. You had to turn it in to your supervisor at the end of the run. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but that that's the sort of thing that would absolutely justify uh, a variety of varying degrees of murder. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I, I am surprised there was not a mass shooting in uh, Roanoke. Um, yeah, good grief. That, that's, that's when to uh, commit mass arson on, yes. a, on, a, on, a, I, on a headquarters yeah. of a railroad. Uh, I, I think ideally, they, using they, flaming Molotov cocktails filled with the poop bags. This, this is um, uh, this has since been remedied. I, they have they have toilets on the locomotives again. They're still bad. Uh, lots of crews will just stop the train at a railroad crossing and go use the bathroom at a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> but but like it's this is it's the disrespect for management yeah. for freight rail crews knows no bounds. Um, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I, you, you've got me thinking about things that go the opposite end of the spectrum, which is, for example, that TGV drivers in France, and indeed Eurostar, um, and I checked this by uh, finding the the, 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 there is a Eurostar, or there is a, sorry, a, a TMST, that you know, the um, the Class 373 kind of original Eurostar trains. There is, was one of those power cars in the college that I taught at for a while. And um, uh, and and it, uh, this is a hanger-on from the TGV drivers who get a wine fridge in every locomotive, in every in every cab. They get a wine fridge and they get to have wine in their train. Uh, 
I, I, whether they drink that wine and how that works, I don't know. That I, I think the laws get a little bit fuzzy on that one. But they have fought for and get a wine fridge in their trades. And I confirm this by finding the wine fridge in the Eurostar Power Car. So it that's is very true. nice. That's, that's <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily want a 186 mile an hour or rather even like a 225 mile an hour train uh, with a with a, a wine imbibed uh, a driver. But... I also think that uh, union power is good. So you know, who's to say what's the what's what's the, what's the bad situation? It's here? it's a quick enough run that you can't really get that sloshed by the end of it as long as yeah. you show up sober. <laughs> yeah, you I get mean... you get a taste, and that's about it. Yeah, plus, exactly. plus, they have lots of redundant safety systems which we don't have in America. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Give everyone wine. The system yeah. is redundant enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's so true. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, and um, uh, also, yeah, there are people in the chat saying that, yeah, there are a few subway systems. Like, the, the New York subway has uh, automatic train operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, London Underground has lots of uh, automatic train operation. Like, lots of places have um, grade of automation to, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's, you know, where, where essentially you've, you've still got a driver, but they're, 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 they're only basically controlling kind of the doors. Uh, that's that's quite common. It's quite straightforward to do that. It's it's fairly straightforward to implement signaling systems that achieve that for metro systems, but for you know for passenger systems, but for for like mixed traffic systems, that becomes uh, more of a no no. And and for freight, long distance, no chance. Yeah, um, anyway, it's difficult right. to push a button at a yard in Los Angeles and say take this train to Denver. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not it's not a thing. Right. Let us press on to oh. Well, yes. Well, crikey. This is this is um, this is Lac Magantique. Yeah. Um, very early. Why? Why? WTYP episode. Yeah, I think very it was uh, episode seven or so. Yeah, yeah this yeah, is way back. Lac Magantique, Quebec, was. Um, uh, I'm surprised this wasn't the big one, right? Yeah. Where we'd never talk about one man crews again. Yeah. Um, so essentially, the main Montreal on this Atlantic uh, Railroad. Um, you know, they were a short line, not, not a short line. A, they were a big short line, I would say. Um, yeah, yeah. and they moved to one man crews, um, because there are less labor laws around short lines. I think in Canada, there were two lines which had, uh, one man crews, one of which was the MMA railroad. The other one is the, the Quebec North shore and Labrador railroad, which, which has a completely different operating paradigm that made it a lot safer. Uh, it also involved 10 days of wilderness training because it's so remote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. But the, uh, the so uh, I want to say the, the engineer tied down the uh, oil train. This is a train full of crude oil. Um, you yeah, know, really the, nasty the, oil as well. Like, yeah, exactly. Really nasty stuff. Yeah, that 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 back in crude was was bad. Uh, very 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 flammable. Leave it um, under the ground, folks. Just leave it there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't remember all the details. Obviously, we recorded an episode about it a long time ago. But he, he you know, he it was a one man crew situation, and he had to leave the cab of the locomotive because it had a mechanical problem. I think it was it caught fire. And the railroad was like, uh, we have the fire department deal with it and just go home, right? Um, and so that's what happened. The fire department didn't have a lot of expertise with the locomotive. And so uh, long story short, the air brakes failed and it rolled down a hill, hit the town of Lac Magantique at about 80 miles an hour or something and uh, blew up the whole town. 
Yeah, like it completely destroyed. I, like this, this is the sort of thing that that, that community has been utterly destroyed. Like, mm-hmm. like emotionally, as well as like the physical destruction. The there physical is a town that's had its soul ripped out, right? The, like, the entire know. downtown is now a vacant lot, which is contaminated with benzene. Um, yeah, and and, and yeah. all of the people who survived this are their lives are ruined. Like emotionally, they're they're mm-hmm. they're, they're absolutely you know no amount of compensate no number of Xboxes are actually going to. Recover the fact that, that that's it. Their lives are totally ruined. They can't live a normal life. The, the, the yeah. soul has been ripped out of that community. It's just yeah, wild. Yeah. So th- this is this is sort of uh, and and this was supposed to be the big derailment that would you know end discussions of a lot of this stuff, and it did not happen. Uh, the rail the class one railroads are still like at least going to use the threat of one man crews to try and beat down labor action and stuff yeah. like that, even though it's. It's clearly, you know, and and you have issues with like precision scheduled railroading management, you know, saying uh, you got to inspect cars faster, you got to do all kinds of crap, you know, um, and and there hasn't been like the big one has not come, but there have been some near misses. I think I, another good examples on the next slide. Which happened yeah. this year? Oh yeah, God, of course, yeah, yeah. The, this we this happened near a place called. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't this happen near a place called Aberdeen? Uh, Aberdeen, Maryland. Yes. Yeah, Aberdeen, where near where I grew up, but not the Maryland one. Uh, the yeah. original. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, Norfolk Southern uses a small part of the northeast corridor. Not a small part of the northeast corridor. A good, good part of the northeast mm-hmm. corridor to run coal trains to uh, compete. I have it in quotes. Compete with CSX. Um, and so they ran this train uh, from probably Harrisburg, uh, got on the main line at Perryville, went a little bit further down the line, and then they put 20 coal cars on the ground, blocked the whole main line. Now, this is, this is I cannot emphasize this enough, a 135-mile-an-hour railroad. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the best of the best when it comes to railroad infrastructure in the yes. U.S. And, and they put 20 cars on the ground and blocked it up in a way that would have caused... Absolutely untold destruction had they t- had they had they not basically been super lucky. Yes, they they got really really lucky. This would have um, been so this, bad. Oh my it, goodness, it, they could have it, they could it, have easily binned two acellas at once with this derailment. Um, yeah, no problem. Or like, uh, yeah, they got commuter trains there too. They yeah. got like like all kinds of crap. It was just incredible that this a it was allowed to happen. B it wasn't a bigger news story. I mean, this is I, one of the problems with like how many derailments you're getting these days is that I, they're yeah, they they, they're so common that. that yeah it's like it's like having a car crash. It's like oh, yeah. okay, um, so this is this is sort of the like, like the state of the railroad right now. And this is I, I know we we got we got to bring it back to labor. This is why. This is why they got to win their demands because otherwise a whole bunch of people are going to die. Stuff's just going to keep getting worse. Yeah. Um, And it's like uh, there's got to be some philosophical change about how freight rail runs Um, because otherwise you're not going to have a railroad in five years. No one's going to want to work there. Because it'll just it's 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 so bad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you if you're working, uh, you know, notwithstanding all of the suffering that you that, that you've had and, and the fact that you basically can't run not even a normal life but a functioning life, put that to one side. The fact that you're aware that there could be a an enormous disaster 
and that you're being forced to have working practices and, and, and run on railroads that are not maintained enough and, and rather, in this case, run wagons that are not maintained enough, that, yes. that you could be involved in a derailment at any moment. That's not... People are just going to be like, ah, you know what? Ah, fuck it. I'm going to go and get an office job playing with spreadsheets. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to kill 1,000 people in a derailment. I'm yeah. going to avoid that one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, the, and as you say, the, the railroad is its people. You do not run this system without skilled people. You can squeeze, you can twist, you can pull them apart, you can thin them out, you can sack them. But ultimately, uh, railways here in uh, you know, the UK, in the US, in India, in uh, China, in Russia, in Austria, all the places we've discussed in this episode, all of them, the single thing that makes them work is dedicated, skilled people, right? There's no getting yes. around that. There's just no getting around it. Dedicated, skilled people. Um, and if those people leave you don't have a railroad anymore. And it's kind of getting to the point in the US where the, the railroad companies seem to be just like putting their hand on that door and looking at the workers and going, okay, then do it. Leave. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the workers at some point are going to, uh, they're going to say, okay, f- yeah, bye. I'm off. <laughs> See ya. I mean, there was a big hiring uh, hiring spree back in 2004. All those people are going to be coming up on 20 years yeah. in two years. And, you know, I, I believe that's when you can start collecting your pension. So, uh, mm. uh, yeah, I think they, you know, if, if, if like 80,000 people leave the railroad, um, my God, uh, the country will implode. And yeah, it will all in the be US, railroad management's fault. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the U.S., it's not like the railroads are... Uh, okay, it's nice that we have them, but actually our economy... No, no, very much... And it's the same in the UK. People don't really think of it, but rail freight, if you pull rail freight out of the way that the country works, it doesn't anymore. Um, And that's even more the case in the US, right? Like, people think of the railroads as a sideline thing that's not that important, and everything's by highway. That's not true. The the, the US absolutely lives... Like, very much the arteries are still the railroads, right? For the the fundamental stuff that keeps the Mm. the country actually functioning. Like keeps power, you know, keeps the lights on and all this keep, stuff. Gets the gets the coal to the power plant. Gets the gasoline to the uh, yeah. to the uh, a fuel distributor. It gets the um, the the grain to the flour mill. It gets the uh, the chlorine to the water yeah. treatment plant. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, if 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 this shit goes down, um, you probably got a week before uh, the real no serious US. shit starts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, there there was uh, there was some. There was some industry association that was like, well, this strike could cause almost $2 billion a day of damage <laughs> to the U.S. economy. And it's like, wow, that's – you're putting a real cheap value on, like, human life there. Um, <laughs> yeah, like the entire population of the U.S., like $2 billion. Like okay. everyone gets cholera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Within, like, a week. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, abs- yeah just – yeah, that's not. Let's not entertain these times because that's when the U.S. starts looking a lot like threads. Uh, it not starts, so starts to look like the U.K. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I can promise you, you do not want that. Um, so, so okay, right. So that's the last slide and, and, and the kind of the slide of pain. And I suppose I wanted to yes. kind of round out, um, Justin. With uh, by the way, everyone in the chat, hello to all of you, uh, Gareth. I know you've gone, uh, Gareth Williams. Many Gareths in the chat. Um, hello to yes. uh, goodbye, Gareth. Um, everyone in the chat, thanks for following along. Um, you, you've all been there's there's two hundred of you in the in uh, kind of watching at the moment, which is yeah. uh, awesome. Uh, live two hundred live viewers is is getting up towards the record of for real now, which is cool. Uh, Ross, I thought I'd kind of um, uh, I've waffled there, so you can see the slide. Do you see what I did there? Yeah. Um, the 
do you think there actually will be positive change? Because we've got to, there's got to be some hope out of this. Because the US, if the US does have the potential for an incredibly good railroad system, right? Yeah. If, if if you spend you know one year's worth of railroad profits, you could do the things like redouble all the stuff that's been singled and uh, electrify pretty much all the core routes. So, do you think there's actually going to be any change? Like, what, what do you think? I, I have an optimistic answer and a pessimistic answer. Oh God! Okay, let's start with the pessimistic one then. Let's do that. The which pessimistic is unfortunately, one, possibly the, the, that's current, yeah, the, the current trajectory, right? Pessimistic one is I, I think there's not really going to be any serious change. I think they will be forced to make operational improvements just to give their workers a day off once yeah. a year, which is like if if the railroad unions accept the current deal, that's basically what they'll get. Yeah, <laughs> like which absolutely is why I, the most marginal improvement to their conditions. Yeah, I I think the um yeah the um I I also think the the unions are going to. They're they're gonna strike it. They're gonna strike the railroads, and they should do it. I mm. think they have to do it. Um, but they're gonna have really bad press because of it. That's the yeah, other every, thing. This is it. Like um, the whole. It's it's just like in the UK. The whole. Um, and I, I don't like saying you know uh, mainstream media. That's such a, a, yeah. an irritating generic term. But it is very much all of the kind of the establishmentarian media will absolutely. I'm not using that as a cop out because plenty of people do write positive stuff and try and. But in the US, it's particularly bad. You know, there's so much client journalism. The UK, absolutely the same issue. Both the US and the UK have this issue with client journalism, and there just will be this enormous establishmentarian push to to villainize and absolutely denigrate all the staff, the workers. Uh, you know, there's going to be so little cut through of people telling a story that is anything other than. Oh, these workers are selfish and bad, and you know yeah. uh, we all work really hard. You know, everyone has to take the cocaine to do the job. You know, so why can't the rail yeah. workers? You know, it's uh, more more it's, methamphetamines oh, here. Yeah, um, yeah Jesus. Uh, the the um you know uh, the roots of it are already there. You know, because there's but there was such a huge media push when the strike was delayed that like yeah. oh President Joe Biden, uh, the most pro labor president in history, has averted the strike. Um, which he did not. Um, <laughs> that the presidential emergency board gave the most meager time off uh, possible to um, uh, at least get uh, Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen and uh, the, the 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 other union, Sheet Metal something something Rail Transport Union, to uh, uh, at least get the thing up for a vote. I would be. I mean, I, I I think the rank and file is going to reject it, though, and we're gonna we're gonna have an actual strike, and uh, you will see like MSNBC liberals uh, being like, why don't they just take Joe Biden's recommendations, and then you're gonna have some insane shit from Fox News. Holy yeah. crap! <laughs> yeah, um, it'll be like I'm, the, the I'm full like these that. people actually <laughs> should be hung. Yeah, like they all of them should they, be hung. They, yeah, they should. Have been. <laughs> it's 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 that that shit's going to be. They're gonna they're gonna like start trying to figure out the mental gymnastics about you know 
the the woke liberal railroad workers. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be like watch. It will be like watching the gymnastics in the Olympics to see like you know the 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 Fox News anchors. Oh, that was a very gassy beer. Yeah. Uh, the Fox News anchors really bending over themselves to come up with weird ways that these yeah. that they're they're like you know so they call, the, the metro, metropolitan liberal elite railroad workers. Yeah, exactly. Oh but the, we 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 interviewed. We found we found the one railroad worker with blue hair to yeah, interview yeah, about yeah, it. something. Absolutely. Like, oh, do, this do one. This pronouns? one's a woman. You know, like, oh my god. Yeah, Jesus. It's not. It's so not going to be good. We, we we do have this to look forward to. Yeah, um, I know. Oh, so the the other the other I guess the so. The, the pessimistic answer there is we'll get minimal change. I think we will get a little bit of change, but we're still on the bad downward trajectory here. Yeah. Um, the positive answer is we have a much more aggressive M-Track than we've had in a while. Ah, um, that is an in, that's a very interesting point. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, I, for example, there's... Um, you know, Biden passed the big infrastructure plan that has a, a whole like Amtrak expansion thing. One of them, a very basic one, they were going to run a train from New Orleans to Mobile like a couple times a day, I want to say. Um, and this is this is a line that used to have Amtrak service, but does not. They suspended it after Hurricane Sandy. They're going to try and bring that back. New Orleans has such a big, beautiful train terminal. They need a couple more trains there. Um, anyway, yes, please. so absolutely. There's a bunch of surface transportation board hearings about it, and um, CSX basically told the regulators point blank, like, well, they can't run trains there because we run too many trains there ourselves. We can't tell you how many there are because that's, uh, you know, a trade secret. That's commercially sensitive, yeah. yeah. So, you know, which Amtrak, uh, after a couple months of these hearings, Amtrak just set up a webcam down there. uh, (laughs) We found out found out the number of trains that are running on the line each day is four. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, granted, oh granted, because they're all monster trains, it is actually very difficult to add capacity yeah, okay. there for yeah, the yeah, Amtrak yeah, sure. train. But also, like, it's uh, CSX looked pretty bad um, from yeah. this one. Good. Uh, so the idea of Amtrak embarrassing more of the class ones that feels like a positive thing to mm-hmm. me. Uh, more of that is good, and it and it does come back to your grand unified theory, which yeah. is if Amtrak gets more teeth and starts running, it, it's a little bit because it, okay, it's it's not right to compare the U.S. Yeah. in scale. It's not right to compare the U.S. to an individual country in Europe, right? Because right. it's it, it's the the distances are much greater, which adds distance adds complexity because it it it, it, it greatly increases those error bars, doesn't it? Right, but it is fair to compare the U.S. to like pan-European rail services. Yes. Um, at which point, the, okay, the, the orders of magnitude maybe get closer, but Europe is still running, you know, like, for example, Paris to Milan. Uh, that's that's a, that's a comparable service to the sort of service you get in the US. And there's still quite a few of those a day. Whereas in the US, that equivalent distance, you'd still be getting maybe like one or two trains a day, kind of tops. Okay, uh, you know... Um, uh, Northeast Corridor yeah. is different. That is much more of a familiar type of rail service. But um, outside of that, like the services that go long distance on Amtrak are, it's kind of like there's one a day. Um, yes. Which is, come on, that, that's that's not. Uh, and the reason that service is crap is as we you know, see the, the the last three hours. Um, but it'd be nice if Amtrak got more bullish and really started pushing for 
You know what? Actually, we'd like to run four trains. Scheduled, yeah, enforcing some scheduled discipline. You know, yeah. I, and I think that's 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 going to be a big factor. I also think if the if the unions do strike the railroads, which I think they should, I I think the rank and file. I I hope the rank and file override union bosses on this one. They're going to be forced to. The railroads will, I think, be forced to concede uh, stronger time off benefits, and that's going to require them to run their trains better. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's so that's quite a realistic uh, positive trajectory. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not like you're not suggesting that there's going to be a this is this is not going to be a tipping point to suddenly the U.S. having a, a really effective railroad system like all of a sudden it's not going to happen. But probably um, not. No. At some point we need to it will be. It should go on a better trajectory. Yeah, hopefully, maybe that might be steered into a better trajectory. At some point, we need to talk about like so in the UK. Like uh, one of my theses is like one of my hypotheses. Uh, me and John Stone certainly is that like we can't run a better service in in the UK until we have more devolution, and it does seem a bit like that kind of applies in the US in terms of like in relation to the kind of the municipal authorities, like the various city regions. So uh, as they get more power, they potentially run better local services but i don't know that that feels like another whole can of worms for us to open another day right yeah um, i was about to say and maybe it doesn't apply in, in like scepter's case maybe uh uh mixed mixed feelings on that one um yeah. given given past that but that's another subject but no that uh, Roz. i mean we've had this is this is now a two hour 43 minute episode it's beautiful. It's a it's a beautiful, well crafted <laughs> machine. I love it. I've also just because we've got we've got a couple of minutes to close on. I've just opened another beer, which is it's very U.S. looking. Brave yeah. noise, uh, pale ale there, but it's actually weirdly and relevant to the last of your slides. Uh, brewed in Aberdeen, it's an Aberdeen oh. beer. Uh, so there you go. It's quite nice. Well, I don't know if it's quite nice. It smells nice. I was actually going to go run and grab another one real quick. Oh, if do that, it. Go do works. it. Well, okay. I will tread water for the next three minutes. <laughs> Um, and answer some questions. In fact, you know what? I'll go big face while you do that. Hello, everyone. It's me and big face. Hi. Uh, Ross has just ran to get a beer. Um, I'm drinking out of uh, this Intercity APT beer glass, which um, is custom. These don't exist anywhere. You can't buy them. You can only create them yourself or have a lovely friend who sends you them for birthdays. Um, but that's very nice. Um, everyone, send your questions in. So, so send your questions in now for oh. Roz and me. Um, Roz will return. It, well, I'm back. By the sounds of it, Roz is back. That was the shortest ever break. I'm used to a longer break from Roz. You, you normally take the opportunity to use the restroom. You didn't this time. All right. Yeah, but I figured we're getting close to the end. We are. It's true. It. Yeah. It's 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, but um, everyone in the chat, if you've got questions for, for, for Roz particularly, because let's face it, you don't have questions for me because I'm here every week. I've been doing these literally every week, bang on, every Wednesday since I started doing it. And this is the 133rd episode. Um, I don't know how I've managed it. And um, thanks to everyone who's sticking with us for, for these 133 episodes. Maybe at some point I'll run out of content. Uh, it's not going to happen, though, because there's such a long list of requests of people wanting to do real now, like guest suggestions and stuff. I, I'm, I'm never going to run out. Also, there's always new news. Anyway, right, let's get rid of my stupid face and go back to... Mm. Let's get Roz back again. Um, so... Uh, we've done that. Right. Um, well, actually, ironically, is the end. So we'll get to the Q&A momentarily, everyone. Um, Starlight, that's not a fair question, which is, where's Franklin? <laughs> no, no. Um, well, this... I will say. Oh, yeah, go on. We, we finally got a, we have a, we have an editor for, uh, well, there's your problem now. We have a, what? The, the wonderful Devon. Oh, Devon. Who, uh, who, who is doing our editing now, which has freed up a lot of time for me. Which ah. maybe I could 
make use of by finishing up Franklin. Um. <laughs> Franklin was a bit of an inspiration. I'll, I'll talk about Franklin in a minute, actually, because I, I do kind of have a weird sort of uh, double flip plug about Franklin uh, momentarily. Um, in fact, you know, I will save it until I get to that slide, but uh, I'll, I'll get through, I'll, I'll churn through some of the normal kind of ending bits first, then we'll get back there. Uh, but anyway, so everyone, send your questions. So, uh, yeah, this, this is available in audio-only format. I don't know how well we've audio described, but basically, Roz has the most incredible voice for radio. Anyway, by, by the fact that you're double-faced, Roz is also, you know, he's a handsome guy, but, you know, everyone, you are renowned, Roz, for your, I, I was, for your I was, voice. I was about, I was about to say, I, I thought you were about to say, I got a face for radio. I, no, no, I, I flipped it right around, but you are. <laughs> Actually, you're a handsome devil anyway but uh, no you you have so people will have enjoyed your voice anyway so they're being carried wonderfully through this so everyone in audio only forum I'm, i hope you enjoyed this um uh the, the standard plugs of so i don't have the nice middle thing that i edit in i do them at the end because uh, i'm lazy and i don't like doing editing hence why i do these live this is kind of like the equivalent of getting devon in shout out to devon hi devon um uh this is the equivalent of getting devon in which is that i don't edit these because i do them live uh, uh which uh, makes them easier so uh, that's also why it's three hours long so patreon.com slash gareth dennis is the patreon where you can support me you can get weird insights into the how these things are made and you can suggest things about future episodes um i've actually got some patreon stuff coming up soon actually some patreon only stuff so um shout out for that um masquette is on pause at the moment because uh they've they've, they've they've gone to turf uh, <laughs> uh so you can't get any merchandise at the moment um if you want to throw abuse at me then you can do that via paypal uh, paypal.me slash gareth dennis throw violent words at me and, and the occasional five pound note um and uh and uh, the discord uh gareth dennis slash discord is where you can join in to the chat that continues uh, everyone's it all the fun all the faves are in there everyone's in the discord server actually even i think even the Ross, I think you've possibly dipped into the Discord. Even if you don't spend any time in there, I think you have dipped into the Discord server. So, you know, I, many I, people I are in the Discord in there, server. I am in there, yes. Um, many people are in, in and about there. Don't don't start pinging everyone because they will ignore you. Um, no, you can ping me. And uh, actually, no one pings me in the server. It's very nice. Everyone's very polite in the real network server. Honestly, everyone in there is lovely. It's very nice. Um, right, enough of me waffling. Here is these lovely three. Also, uh, yay, Liam. Uh, congratulations, uh, Liam Anderson, you gorgeous hunk of meat, um, on, uh, on, on engagement. Uh, just, a, just a happy shout-out to Liam. Hello, lovely Liam. I'm very much looking it? forward to seeing you soon. I was at his engagement party, and they were having a, another... Uh, someone was having a wedding reception across the estuary, and they had live music. And Anyway, the whole our whole party was just screaming... Free bird. <laughs> so uh, you know that was that was a pretty good time. That was Amazing. that was good. Um, oh, it's lovely. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Liam Rin. Uh, I, it's very exciting news. Very very happy. Um, I, I love that you continue to be represented by the do not eat coin here, um, which is nice. Uh, I was about to, well, someone someone drew it before I had a public face. Yeah, so. that's it. No one knew who you were. Uh, exactly. And also, hi hi Alice. We had Alice on to talk about railway watches. Um, and in fact, mm. if I briefly. I'm wearing the watch that inspired that episode because I'm wearing the Swiss mundane railway watch. Uh, I can't rotate my elbow around because my arms don't work like that. But um, there it is. It's very nice. I, it's, it's, I enjoy it. Anyway, I digress. Mine, so, mine, mine is still at June's house because June said she'd get the battery changed. And <laughs> you know what? That has not happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, sorry, the reason I put this up is, of course, everyone, uh, the last episode that went out, the last main episode uh, kind of um, on the channel was episode 113, um, Battery Electric Locomotives, a subject very close to my heart. I enjoyed watching it because uh, we're having a similar sort of um, bionic duckweed chat in the UK about um, the battery and hydrogen. Also hydrogen, the, the idea that hydrogen trains are going to solve everything, which is fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, but uh, That's yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, Alan joined you and it was an epic uh, episode and uh, very enjoyable. It was all the train content content you want and need folks so uh, yes. go subscribe to i mean everyone watching this uh, let's face it literally everyone watching this subscribes to wtyp so uh the the venn diagram there is a circle um so um, gray yeah. hydrogen is more carbon intensive than gasoline uh, yes. i want to say that yeah <laughs> yeah and also what's fun is to particularly in the eu you look at how much the fossil fuel companies have been lobbying uh, for hydrogen stuff that should raise eyebrows at minimum uh, they've been spending hundreds of millions of euros a year lobbying the European Commission on hydrogen being wonderful. So that that should be like a good reason to just absolutely reject the idea that hydrogen is anything other than a fringe application. Um, What's the what are the copper and steel industries doing? I mean, come on, come on, guys, let's get some railroad electrification going. Yeah. Let's get some dishonest lobbying on. Yeah, why like, is there never on, dishonest lobbying on, about yeah. electrification? Exactly. Exactly. Why? <laughs> Like there is there is serious copper production to be to be yeah. had in that front, you know, right? Oh man! Do you, yeah. do you want an unethical copper mine yeah. in like South Africa? <laughs> Come talk to us. <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, but also, and I've not listened to this yet. I am a Patreon subscriber, so I, I get the bonus episodes. Um, uh, I've not listened to this yet, but uh, this this is a fun one, which is um, uh, Doctor M R Geldof is joining uh, has joined you for um how to die in a sword fight, which. I'm absolutely intrigued by this. I have no idea which direction this bonus episode's going to go, but uh, I, was, I, was, I look forward to I listening to it. I was very drunk for that one. <laughs> um. <laughs> Good. Marvelous. As happens in our bonus episodes. That does happen. Yeah, the bonus <laughs> episodes are fruity. Yeah, so I, I had the pleasure of being in a bonus episode, and you en and it ended up getting opened out to everyone, didn't it? Because I... Uh, it was it was on them. Um, I kept the saying Penn, Penn Station one. Central Station was the stupid thing that I kept doing. It's like, no, Penn Station... We did Penn Station. It was the Penn Station episode, and it was good fun. Yeah, um, that was a good one. It was a good, it was good fun, and, and I I think I did get drunk. Anyway, right. Um, uh, I will plug my two episodes. I, so um, we were talking about Franklin. Franklin was a bit of inspiration for me on a number of levels. Firstly, also Dina's watched your um, uh, Dean and I have sat and watched on our telly your uh, other series, your other mini series about um, uh, planning and power and planning. Uh, which is, it's quite good. We, the we power, politics, it. and planning, yeah. Exactly. Dina really enjoyed it. She was like, I, I like this a lot. I'll watch more. And then we ran out of the episodes. But um, it was good. The parking one particularly made us both very angry and, and, and aggravated. Uh, it was excellent. <laughs> but um, you, your Franklin episode kind of, is, firstly, that means I know uh, Philadelphia geography now. So that's that's good since I'm visiting. But also it inspired me to kind of do a longer series. Uh, and when I say longer, I mean, good God, there are so many hours of it. We're on episode 61 of, of the series in the archipelago. And the next episode is going to be this Friday, I think. Uh, and it's Modernization 2, Electric Boogaloo. We're going to be um, looking at the modernization. So it's kind of like the UK-ish. Like, it's kind of analogizing the UK to kind of explore what what happened in, in kind of British rail history. But also with kind of... It's currently a nice socialist uh, idyll, uh, our little collection of islands. So uh, anyway, for, for people who are watching that series... Uh, Jay, I know Bisquackle has, and you're a big fan of the series you've been watching, and indeed have joined as a guest a few times. 
Um, yeah, next one's this Friday. Um, and next I week's didn't know Rail I Ratter. could be a guest on that. <laughs> oh, you, you, you can be a guest on that series. Basically, you just join in the Discord chat uh, and, and we just basically oh, talk while I, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know, do, do whatever it is I do. Remodel a railway station or, I don't know, electrify two miles of railway. Uh, it's a very slow slow burn series. Actually, it's been quite... A, the last episode was a bit faster, but it is, it's, it's, it's a pretty slow burn series. But we, we're taking our time and exploring things anyway uh, i digress uh, next week's rail matter is it's going to be a pre-record um uh because i'm meeting with basically the whole committee of the young rail professionals to to do like a big round table chat about skills because it's rail week again they, we've done one of these every year Ooh. since rail matter started and we're going to talk about rail uh, like the skills gap and what the hell we do about that i'm recording that one on monday night um uh, so that should be skills i heard you can put skills in a wallet now well, exactly. Yeah, that you have a help. skills wallet. Um, you can you can <laughs> buy those skills uh, on the blockchain. Oh no, that's you can buy them with block, with Bitcoin, and they are on the blockchain. Sorry, I'm getting my I'm getting my uh, made up uh, tech bullshit uh, all confused. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So um, we're gonna be talking all about the blockchain. Uh, yeah, that's it. We're gonna be talking about skills <laughs> blockchain. Uh, what if that's... we put railroads on the blockchain? Has anyone thought of this before? Well, I've always wondered. So I continue to have never heard a single useful application of the blockchain. Um, and, 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 and everyone who's explained it to me, I've responded to them saying, what, you mean just a regular document control system? Like, you, so can, here, put your, here... you can put your work documents on the blockchain, and that way no one will ever be able to edit them without your knowing about it, and there'll and, and they'll be a full auditable trail, to which my response was, what, you mean like just a regular document management system that we've had since what if, the, the 80s? What if you had an electric locomotive, but instead of the Panagraph powering the traction motors, <laughs> you also had a diesel engine on there, and the Panagraph powers um, a bunch of Bitcoin miners... <laughs> And the diesel engine drives the train. Has anyone thought of this? They I think this is a good idea. We should we should look into it. Pa- the, um, copyright, I... copyright, copyright, <laughs> patent pending. Yeah, copyright. Yeah, uh, you yeah, must not actually pe- take yeah. that. that yeah. That's that's officially our idea. Uh, I'm gonna we're... go. I'm gonna go pitch this to Burlington Northern Santa Fe. <laughs> um. Don't. We've already established they're idiots. They will take you up on it. Oh my god. Yeah. This is my secret plan to get the wires up. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's strange. What if trick. the locomotive mined Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Right, I'm gonna bring up now. This uh, oh, uh, this won't work because you will be a phantasm if I do it. Uh, yes, no, there is just a gap, just in Rosniak, but with a a, a a black hole where you were. Uh, oh, this is this can work though. Oh, actually, you know what? I can I can I can make this work. I can do this in episode. We, we're going to hit the... It's 2 hours 55, which means I've got enough time to make this happen. I'm doing it. Uh, add existing, Roz, make source visible. Uh, there you are. Yeah. There we are. So I'm going to do that. Uh, and is it working? Do, it is working. And do this. There you are. We have... There's this Roz. <laughs> um, there we are. Um, so... Um, so, uh, we have a chance for questions. I'm going to scroll up and look at some questions. We have got... Uh, Timothy Meyer is asking, is there a way to deal with large uh, uh, precision scheduled railroad trains stopped over grade crossings blocking small towns other than not do PSR? Your thoughts, I, Roz? I was just going to say, apparently my webcam was just delivered. <laughs> oh, really? But I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to set it up right now because... Uh, <laughs> This room is disgusting right now. 
Also, as previously established, I can't get the, the, the OBS won't let me make this work. So we're going to have to cope with what is you looking quite fetching in that City Skylines videos for Paradox from like three years ago or something. Oh, yeah, I look like shit right now. <laughs> You've got a nice shirt and jumper on and, and some nice denims in the... Uh, exactly. And sitting in a really nice chair. Is that your house that they filmed that in? Or did they, like... What was yeah, the situation that, that, with that? That's my living room, yeah. Oh, that's actually... You have a nice living room. You have a really nice yeah. Coors Light, neon light in the background. It's nice. That thing, that thing broke oh. the sun, unfortunately. I don't know what's wrong with it. I'm sure it's... I'm sure it's fixable, but, like, I, I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. In any case, that's a nice living room. Anyway, it was, I enjoyed yeah. that video. It was good. It was, I, I, enjoy, I particularly enjoyed the bit where you um, do the, the trains uh, uh, sort of... Uh, uh, you talk about the fact that people want to listen to, to, to hear about trains. That that was that was fun. That made me giggle when I first watched it. That was that was a that was a whole whole situation. That video we brought the uh, the Finns over to uh, or no, I think they were Swedes. I, I I don't remember if it was Paradox or if it was uh, Colossal Order who mm. who came over. We brought them over to Oscar's Tavern. And uh, after oh, yeah, I said paradox. It's not paradox. It's colossal order. I'm I'm thinking of my yeah. hearts of iron four. It's it's, it's well, colossal, well, colossal right. order is part of paradox. Ah, okay. Anyway, we brought the guys over to Oscar Oscar's tavern, hmm. um, and a fight broke out at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> is this going to happen when I'm over? Is it going to be hell? So, firstly, the first thing you should yeah, know is yeah, that we're going to bring it to Oscar. Given tavern. the very exciting news, which I kind of hinted <laughs> in last Rail Week um, to everyone, but. Dean and I are expecting everyone. There we are. There's the exciting news for all the Rail Natter people. So um, I've not been drinking, hence why I've not been drinking beer in Rail Natter episodes, because in solidarity with poor Dina, who can't really drink. She can have a yeah. wine or two, but can't really drink much. I've been avoiding it. Um, so, uh, Justin, you're going to get me drunk on one beer. So uh, that, that'll be a nice... I'm a cheap date. What can I say? Um, there you go. There you go. And Oscars is the cheapest bar. Um. Perfect. <laughs> Super cheap. Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's Oscars. Yeah, we're gonna go there and and um, and see if see, see if Paradox are there and we can fight some Swedes again. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, nice one. Sorry. Anyway, I'll be digress. Uh, Timothy, we didn't actually answer your question very well, but um, uh, is there a way to deal with them? Probably not. No, I don't know. Um, what was blocking, the question again? Blo uh, just talking about blocking level crossings. Um, uh, blocking small towns. Oh. Precision railroading trains stopped over the top of level crossings. Uh, I bet there's absolutely nothing you can do with that um, until uh, PSR is scrapped. Yeah, there's a there's a great thing you can do, and it's run shorter trains more frequently on schedules where they don't have to stop so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and also maybe invest in infrastructure. So if you've got a level crossing yeah. in the middle of a town, uh, maybe build a bridge. There's know? a town in yeah. Virginia. It's along the rich, the old Richmond, Fredericksburg, and Potomac, um, which has the. Um, uh, the railroad runs down the center of the main street, and there's like 50 trains a day. Ashland, that's the one. Ashland, okay, and, um, yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, you know, there there was a a study that was conducted a number of years ago for high speed rail between Washington D.C. and Richmond. And when I say high speed rail, I don't mean 225 miles an hour. I mean like 110 at best, because <laughs> yeah. high speed rail means nothing here. And, you know, it's like you could do most of it with improvements within the right of way. And then the study got to Ashland and was like, they gave up for Ashland. Uh, they literally gave up. They were like, we don't we don't know what to do here. Um, and that's for future study. Um, and it's just it's I don't know. There, there's there's an abdication of responsibility here for, like, trying to make anything better. Um, is it is it partly... 
Oh, so I've had I've had I've never done any work in in the US, but I have done work in Canada. And one of the things I experienced in Canada was that there's definitely like a bit of a and it happens in the UK to an extent. There's definitely a bit of a juggling act with avoiding paying like like the local authority has responsibility for certain bits, but they absolutely do not want to spend a penny. And then the regional authority or the city authority say, because obviously in the US, you've got like city and then like count the, the, like the, the the kind of the order of the of the, the devolution of power is kind of a, it can vary and all of them are like no we're not paying for that we're not paying for that we're not paying for that and and, and but the thing i found like that exists in the uk but in the u the us uh, sorry when i was in canada the number of layers of that felt particularly egregious i don't know does that sound from your kind of working experience was that ever a thing in, in the in the us where you've got like loads of layers of different authorities all competing to not pay for the thing Oh, a, a municipality would never pay for inner city rail. Um, uh, 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 you, you would not have that happen. They need that tax money for police. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say, they spend it on police, don't they? Regional authorities, I mean, uh, I will say Virginia is better than most states on passenger rail because they are actively funding it, and it's... Um, mm. It's been an incredible success. Mm. I mean, you know, because they, they, they instituted the Roanoke train a couple years ago, which I use frequently, mm. and um, they thought they were going to need a state subsidy of a whopping horror of horrors, $1 million a year to run it. That's, I mean, that's um, nothing it, for starters. That's just, that's, that's like a sneeze on a spreadsheet. Like, that's just money. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, the train turned a profit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh it's, it comes back to this thing we said at the start when I was talking about the COVID stats. There is actually, if you get the service right, even the US, a place that is, let's face it, has like auto traffic flowing through its veins as a country. If you get the service right, there is enormous latent demand for people to use public transport, right? Yeah, and the Roanoke train schedule is miserable. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yet people use it, including myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, because it leaves at five in the morning, it oh gets God. back in at nine p.m. at night. Um, <laughs> but people are still using it. It's turning up the people, fact that people that's use it. Up, yeah. I, know, I, why? Why are people not? I, I, I'm uh, Will Beresford. You've asked a good question, which I'll get back to. But I'm going to ask you this, Justin. Why do you? Th I mean, this is a massive question, but maybe like quickly. Do you think there's a your, your grand unified theory might come up with the answer? Um, given that whenever. Given that the services are so crap and still get used, has anyone within the railroad actually had the epiphany that if we ran a service that was better, there'd be more passengers? Like, has everyone, has anyone within Amtrak had that epiphany? Um, so I would say Amtrak is very, very hamstrung by federal regulations. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, like, the really obvious routes, they cannot run easily. Um you don't get federal funding for anything under 700 miles, for instance. Oh. Um, oh, okay. What? But the, uh, yeah, uh, federal funding is reserved for uh, long-distance trains over 700 miles. So they got a big pot of money they can't use for anything other than long-distance trains that are very expensive to run yeah. and which have to run infrequently just based on, you know, the... Uh, the nature of the beast. So that's right? almost um, the equivalent for anyone who's watching this who's not kind of familiar with distances. That's almost the equivalent of um, no subsidy being available for any trains running in the UK. Yes. None um, at all. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, maybe maybe you could run one. Uh, not even to, the Aberdeen to Penzance service is seven hundred miles. You could run one up to Shetland and maybe make <laughs> it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Build the Shetland, <laughs> the long overdue Shetland yeah, tunnel, or like and then the, it would get the, the Faroe Islands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I, I did not realize that was the threshold. I thought it was, I, I don't know, I knew there was a threshold, but I figured it was a bit 
lower than that. Seven hundred miles. One, is one, wild. one of the crazy things that's happening right now is that um, you know, I, the, the, the Northeast Corridor segment of Amtrak is actually making a bunch of money, which is mm. sort of used to subsidize some of the long distance routes. But I, there were ex- serious expansion plans before the big. Uh, infrastructure bill that was passed and um, they sort of uh, that's one of the reasons why the train to Mobile from Los Angeles, or excuse me, New Orleans is, why did I say Los Angeles? I don't like that. That would Um, be nice service though. Yeah, uh, the train from New Orleans to Mobile is is going through Surface Transportation Board hearings right now, which is the successor to the Interstate Commerce Commission Mm. is because they had the money to start doing real expansions before this this bill went through, right? And they they're looking at like routes that are economically viable, and this is one of them. There's a lot of people on the coast in Mississippi yeah. and Louisiana and even Alabama. Um, you know, you don't you don't usually think of these as densely populated places, but this is these are these are the parts that are. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, this this is um, uh, where was I going with this? You're describing um, the fact that, that, that there is an appetite within Amtrak to to expand, but they're yeah. kind of constrained by the Fed, the the the, the, yes. the, the levels above. Yeah, exactly. They, they they've been very, very, very constrained. And the other thing is, of course, we've turned the uh, the relationship between railroads, uh, freight railroads, and passenger railroads is much more adversarial yeah, now than okay. it used to be. Um, so this is. Uh, that that I mean that is part of the grand unified theory of yeah. rail operations, right? And we've Strengthen we've the suddenly and we've the, the turned freight. this yeah, yeah. yeah yeah, but we've turned this into an entirely adversarial relationship, which is bad for everyone. Uh, but you know, I, it's it, people at Amtrak want to improve service. Um, they just are not able to under the regula- under the the regulatory environment and the um, the, uh, uh, the 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 legal relationship between freight rail and passenger rail. Um, that felt like yeah. a shortcoming of the of the big infrastructure bill. Is it doesn't seem to be tackling any of that. Like there's okay, there's value in providing extra extra infrastructure to to get a better service, and then then maybe that adds a bit of weight behind Amtrak against the freight operators. But ultimately, it, it feels like there was a lack of. Um, political will to actually engage head on with the the, the, the class ones, right? Yeah, I there absolutely is not a lot of political well to to engage, you know. If if you wanted to tackle this head on, I mean, okay, so like, there were twenty eight daily trains between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh in the forties, right? And today there's one, oh and there's barely any less infrastructure. And in order to run a second Amtrak train, Norfolk Southern's trying to extort like three hundred million dollars out of the federal government. Um, you know, it, if, if you wanted to, you could tackle these problems by telling the freight railroads um, to go fuck stop, themselves. stop being stupid, idiot, dumbasses, yeah. uh, <laughs> run shorter and more frequent trains. I I've been I've been convinced that, you know, it's a very blunt instrument, but a federal train length mandate would do a yeah. lot of good. Okay. <laughs> so back to back to our slide with the 75 versus 150 cars, limit to 75. Just just drop that limit straight in. Uh, you know, 
arbitrary. No, no, no. no. You, 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 you have to do a distance length, not a car length. Because ah, a, okay. A, cool. If it's a car length, they're just going to figure out how to make a, a half a mile long train car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Forgive me. I misunderstood. So actual distance, like a distance yeah. the train goes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like uh, if, if, you know, the train can't be more than one mile long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got you. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, got you. Yeah. Um, so, right, Will, we're going to get to your question, which is a good question, I think, um, which is about back to the unions, because this was ostensibly about the U.S. rail strikes this episode. Um, yes. How radical are the, the U.S. rail unions and have they got enough morale for a sustained fight if it lasts if it lasts more than sort of one or two strike days? Uh, BLET has historically been very conservative. Okay. Um, I am not very certain about the rest of the unions. Um, I know there's one which has, I think, two now that have accepted the uh, presidential emergency board recommendations. Um, and then there's one which has explicitly rejected it. Mm -hmm. um, BLET certainly has radical factions in it. Um, there's been a sort of rank and file committee that's been formed, the uh, Railway Workers United, which is pushing for some more radical solutions. Um, it, it's, um, it's, 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 or pushing for more radical action. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because if, if brotherhood of locomotive engineers and trainmen is threatening the strike, uh, you, you fucked up. Um, yeah, yeah. this is, this is, um, I, 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 I would definitely say, I, a paradigm of business unionism since, you know, uh, well, they're the oldest railroad union in existence, um, and they were almost superseded by the American Railway Workers Union back in the the late 1800s. That was Eugene Debs Union, I want to say, which weirdly a, a, a predecessor organization to Democratic Socialists of America, ah, if okay. you really trace it yeah, through some yeah, weird okay, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, BLET is 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 generally a, a pretty conservative union, but I think if they're they're trying to if, if they're withholding their labor power over this, uh, they mean business. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a, like a, a tipping point for some, yeah, but little C conservative, by the way, folks, as in like yeah. like uh, guarded over exp over really pushing their power because they fear the the risk of retribution, essentially, right? That's a fair representation of that of their of their position, yeah. right? Uh, uh, you know, you have uh, uh, factory workers and stuff like that in America, are not not necessarily. There's a lot of a lot of these old unions. Uh, you have you have people who will have you know uh, uh, let's go Brandon stickers on their cars and stuff like that. And you know the thing you got to do there is like just support labor. Yeah. Don't worry about don't worry about the let's go Brandon sticker or like the you know the the blue lives matter punisher sticker that you're seeing i, I you got to you got to just support Push labor through that and just support labor yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure yeah, yeah yeah um so um yeah uh, gdr riley says that they're a fan of a train that must fit in 95% of the sidings along a given route that's it seems like a reasonable sort of uh, i mean i'd go for 100% right if you could... i'd go for 100% yeah. too yeah, yeah. or i double track the railroad yeah, I mean, they've got the, <laughs> the thing is, it doesn't stand up that there isn't the money to do it. I, we're going to finish in a minute, don't worry, uh, uh, Justin. We're going to let you escape because this okay. has been going for three hours quarter. Sorry, I got. I, I, 
Well, basically, I enjoyed I enjoyed chatting to you. Forget this, the lovely lot who are in the chat. I just enjoy a chat with you, and we haven't had a good long chat. But this is the chat we're going to have in the pub in however many weeks it is that I'm coming over. Yeah, and, <laughs> so, then, and then and then someone will try it. Then we can watch a fight happen. I'm excited for oh, that. Oh, I'm excited for that. <laughs> who's, so who fights each other? Who, who are the people? Who, just people fighting each other. Just, uh, it, was, it was just a fight broke out. I don't even remember what it was. You're it's, not doing yeah, a great on... job. You're not doing a great job of busting the idea that I'm going to arrive in the U.S. with my funny sort of half sort of weird hybrid scottish accent and everyone's going to think that i sound all funny and then there's going to be a, a generic like bar fight with people sliding along the bar and going out the window and stuff like that what, you've not busted the, you haven't busted this for no me no no Pe- people are going to like you um <laughs> it's other other people are going to fight other people no one's going to fight us we're we're not we're, we're not going to be like the the victims of the fight are we going to be sat enjoying are we going to be sat with the drink be able, watching the fight yeah, go on around watching us. the fight go on around us yes that's I love this. that's the sort of that's the sort of vibe i'm trying to convey here <laughs> that's what we got that's what we got the foster and paradox <laughs> <laughs> i'm just imagining you and a bunch of swedes Oh yeah. my! They're really going for dirty, and they're yeah. just like, uh, <laughs> just like. The, I don't know why I did, I did that weird Canadian accent there. I don't yeah, know what I was that about was. To say. It's a, yeah, it's got a, got some Minnesota Norwegian there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, don't don't let me. Get oh yeah, out. they're really going at it. Oh, they're really going at it, they, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, right. That feels like a good time to depart. Uh, right. Um, let us return. In fact, yeah. Right. Make sure I've got all my stuff set up. Roz, um, that's been. It's been an epic episode, but I would have expected nothing less. It's been a, a, an absolute pleasure to have you on. Honestly, a, a genuine pleasure. Um, your static placeholder version of you uh, looking in exasperation at the, the situation going on here. Um, yeah, no, that, that, was, um, that was, honestly, that was great. That was a really good explanation. Um, we, we broke down into quite a few fun things there. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. I don't know what, I'm, I, I'm not, ex- I'm not going to content churn when I arrive. I'm going to have a relaxed holiday because it's going to be like the last holiday before Dean and I knuckle down to the process of making a human exist. Um, yes. But, um, but it's going to be fun. Um, but I might ride the Acela. We might do some fun stuff and I'll, I'll do some tweeting, I'm sure. Um, I need to work out oh, how yeah. to make my, my phone work in the US. I have absolutely no idea how to do that. That's a future thing. But anyway, in the meantime, uh, you, Roz. You got, the, you got the right spot in uh, Philadelphia. You can access most of the Northeast Corridor. Oof, I know. I'm looking for, I'm, it's going to be exciting. That the mm. Hell's Gate Bridge. Uh, here I come, um, Roz. I will see you in a few weeks. But in the meantime, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, everyone in the chat. Thanks for sticking with us. A few of you have been here since the start, since three hour, three and a quarter hours ago. Um, Jamie P. Many, uh, sorry for many moons ago, when these old oaks were young. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, back when they planted the trees to use for the latest version of the Notre Dame that's burned down. Um, yes. <laughs> when this episode started. Um, yeah, no, Roz, um, thank you so much. Uh, everyone in the chat, Roz and I are waving vigorously to you. We will see you in, in I will see you in a week's time. Roz will see you for the next World Lazy Problem podcast. Go subscribe if you haven't yes. already, but all of you have already, so that's fine. But if, if you haven't, if the, for the two of you who haven't, go do it now. Um, and Roz and I will see you soon. I will see you soon. Roz will see you soon. Cheerio, everyone. Cheerio. Roz, stay on the line because I'll say goodbye to you in the Skype while the credits roll. But anyway, because I forgot to tell you that earlier. Anyway, everyone else, bye. Bye. Bye, 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 bye.